The By the Hood podcast is brought to you by Discover Your Options. Getting started with trading options may seem intimidating, but with the Discover Your Options bootcamp, you'll be up to speed faster than you could have ever imagined. No matter what your ultimate goal is, learn the basic skills and gain all the confidence needed to ultimately win in the exciting world of options. Go to By the Hood University and click on the link for Discover Your Options to receive the code for 60% off the bootcamp. That's right, 60% off. Remember, go to Buy the Hood University, look at Discover Your Options, and get 60% off. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the Buy the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy, and as we start off every show, it's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to all the students of Buy the Hood University as well as anybody who's purchased our merch copped our books, anything. We just want to always say thank you because we appreciate all the support. I've got my partner, Crown Me, Corey. Corey, what's up, good brother? What's going on, Jim? Everything good with you? Yeah, man, I can't complain, man. Ain't nobody listening, man. But, uh, you know, things are good, man. Um, for those out there, you know how what our show is about. It's about highlighting brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work in the community, whether that's through business, whether that's just through activism, whatever it may be. We want to make sure we uh, shine a spotlight on them. And we have a special guest this episode. We got a brother, Jabbar Fairweather. He's a real estate investor, real estate agent, master wholesaler. Anything in a real estate game, this, this brother is, is involved. As a matter of fact, um, last time I saw him, I think we both were at a title office picking up a check. So I know he's still out there getting busy. But Jabbar, how are you, good brother? I'm doing well, man. It's a pleasure, an honor to be on this podcast, man, and seeing you guys, you know, doing things and educating people, which I believe is the number one thing. I heard a long time ago, if you want to keep it from black people, put it in a book. And it's so true because everything is in a book and no one, no one's exercising their rights that they, that people died for mm-hmm. to learn from a book. But now it's even easier. You just pick up your phone and be like, Oh, let me watch this podcast or let me watch this video. Yeah. And learn something. It's crazy. The illest thing about like what we do is because I still learn from every guest we have when I learn something, because one thing oh, I can sure. tell you about real estate and finance in general is you never know it all. Right. There's, and there's always somebody that has like a trick or something they're doing that you never thought of or didn't know you could do. So um, and I'm pretty sure that we're about to experience that with you as well, because I know how you get busy in a real estate game. man. every time I look on your IG, you close in like seven deals a day, man. So, you know, <laughs> but before we get into that, though, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, where are you from? What schools did you attend? Uh, what was your upbringing like? All right. So uh, what most people don't know, I am Jamaican on both sides of my family. Yeah, I mean, most people don't know that, but. Got oh, hit the little switch on us. Huh? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but what happened was uh, growing up, I didn't know my family was the prime, the son. My great great grandfather was a prime minister's son in Jamaica. So, in Jamaica, we owned a lot of properties. And uh, growing up, every two months of the year, I spent in Jamaica. So, September, we'll say June 15th, or whenever we got out of school, two days later, I was on a plane to Jamaica. And okay. I would spend the whole summer in Jamaica and uh, watch my family build houses from the ground up from Beanie Man to any other high uh, singers in Jamaican folklore, we built their houses in the mountains. And whenever you died, we built the caskets, which was real scary at the time. We built the caskets, put you in the red dirt or the red mud, whatever you want to call it. So, you know, I grew up differently than everybody else because I had, you know, people who'd bathe me. I'd have people who take care of me and look out for me. And what I knew was that, damn, they owned something which created their opportunity. So you grew up with like construction and real estate, kind of like in your family, something you were born into, actually. Correct. My dad was part of the union for 34, 36 years. Oh, okay. So 
Uh, when he came back here, uh, my grandmother actually was here. I think she came here in 1972. She was a nurse. Most Jamaicans either go into like the nursing or care field or construction, you know, anything with their hands. And um, she bought a house on Staten Avenue, uh, 1974, something like that. I was born in 1977. And um, from there, you know, my mom told me, you want stuff? Because she would put me in some weird clothes like tights. Tights wasn't in back then for guys. <laughs> and my mom would buy anything she could, and she didn't care if it was from Pro Wings, from Payless, whatever. You know, I mean, I go to school, get teased. I mean, I've been in probably over 30 fights because, you know, when you have to be out talk about, you know what I mean, and what way I do, and people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, and, and you in Philly, too, so we know how ruthless uh, Philly is. Oh, imagine yeah. walking around barefooted, around West Oak Lane barefooted with my shirt off like I'm in Jamaica because I just spent two months walking around barefoot in Jamaica. It's I, culture. I a whole different culture. Man, they whooped my ass. And it was funny because I literally used to laugh to myself like, I'm about to go to school, get my ass beat. Then I'm going to go across the, the tracks, go fight these dudes at the tracks. Then I got to fight the dudes I live on my block. And I'm like, damn. And it was, I'll tell people all the time, they tell me how rough their life was. I'm like, yo, y'all ain't been through shit. Yeah. My dad beat me so bad that my back bled one time. And uh, the people, DHS came to take me away because I was at school. My back was bleeding to my shirt. And I was at the house. We sitting there. They there. And my dad said, what? I'm my son. Him, him not go to school fight. If him want to fight, me beat his ass. And literally... <laughs> The lady said, well, we'll take him away from you. He said, take him. You can keep him in trouble. <laughs> and I'm looking like, oh, my God. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, and that's the thing. You never know about someone's background. And, 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 but, you know, the fact of the matter is you're still trying to go to school. Um, we meet kids all the time who, be, like, because of those situations, stop going, right? And then people look at them like, oh, these kids are bad. And they just had a third. Like, you don't know what somebody is going through, right? So you got to get people's story. Some of these kids, like, Corey, I know you can attest to this. When we talk to the kids behind the wall, a lot of times, like, they have, they have to fight to get to school. They have to fight to eat and things like that. But people just want to, like, you know, throw them away and, and forget about them, not understanding that just because you can get up and, and, and go freely, everybody don't have that same experience. Not and I tell people all the time, like, they don't understand like, when people say, oh, Jabari, it's easy for you. Let me get this straight. So my dad was whooping my ass. The people in my block was whooping my ass. The people at school was whooping my ass. I had, they had a psychiatrist. So in eighth grade, I had to see a psychiatrist about fighting. Because at one point, I just snapped and said, you know what? Since we're going to fight anyway, if I could get you one-on-one, I got a chance. If you in the group, it's not, I ain't winning that. But if I catch you in the cafeteria or catch you in the hallway, it's on and pop. And so you, you turn from prey to predator. Yo, and they used to be like, listen, I got to the point motherfuckers would see me on a, on a block or see me to walk by themselves a grocery. They'd be like, yo, not now, man. This is my family. <laughs> like, like, and I'm like this, wide-eyed, like, yo, y'all ain't give me a break when I said, yo, I'm coming from school with my school uniform on that my parents pay for. Because remember, black people didn't pay for black kids to go to Catholic school. Like, that was back then. That was not something we did. And my dad was like, yo, I work too hard for you to go to Catholic school, not King High School, not, not I went to St. Benedict's, not like all the other schools that everybody else went to. He was paying for me to go to Catholic school for you to get a fight and then you rip your clothes up. So I didn't care what you had. It's on and popping. And then I finally got the respect from people because I had then became fearless with the thought like, well, one-on-one, -on -one, this ain't that bad. And then they start realizing like, okay, he's taking it to another level. Like he's going to catch us coming down the street somewhere in front of our parents, I didn't care where. <laughs> Your old daddy could be there. 
we rumbling because my mom just told me, listen, whatever you got to do to survive, you do it. I don't care if you get in trouble. My dad was like, I pay for you to go to school. You get in trouble. That's an ass whooping. So guess what? I'm going to get the ass whooping. Anyway, it better be on my terms. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So that was, that was your journey. Like, did that go throughout high school? Was that all throughout high school? So here's what happened because of it. So seeing the psychiatrist, he realized that I was not about to stop fighting. So he had to pay me to stop fighting. So the psychiatrist was like, I'm going to lose my job because I can't get you to stop fighting in class, in the hallways, in the, uh, the schoolyard. So guess what we're going to have to do? I'll pay you not to fight. Because he'd ask me, what did I really want? And I said, well, I just want to have my own money, buy my own stuff because they're fighting, beating me up because I'm wearing pro wings. They're beating me up because I'm wearing shitty clothes, clothes with holes in it. So what do I do to get out of it? So he said, well, get a job. But now I'm 14 years old. Talk about get a job. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? So then I went to Mr. Cannon, my uh, eighth grade teacher. He was like, listen, I'm going to take you the pet shop we go to to get the turtles and the fish for the class. Why don't you ask uh, Joel Martin for a job? I get there. Joel Martin's there. There's Marge Aquariums off of a six eleven Jacob Town. Of Oyo Grove. Of Oyo Grove. Yeah. I worked there for six years. Literally, eighth grade that summer, went, got a job there. My mom got me to uh my work permit at 14. And I started working for Joel. Not only did I work for Joel, but when I got to working for Joel, I got to high school. Guess who was working 20 hours a week? Gotcha. Playing football, wrestling, running track. Me. So when people tell me, nah, man, you don't understand how hard it is. No, nah, you, you don't no excuses. Because Joel said to me, he started from a basement. And he's like, yeah, you think what, Joel Martin's Aquarium started here? We started in the basement getting orders of fish into the basement. Then we got to Ogons Avenue. And from Ogons Avenue, from a little tiny-ass shop, we got here in Jenkintown. So he had no, he was Jewish. He had no excuses for me. He said, there's no excuse for you. I was like, but you don't understand. When I go home, I get my ass beat. When I go to school, I got to fight this person. And he was like, you think you're the only person that had to fight for your freedom? And it stuck to me because I was like, damn, this dude ain't taking no, no excuses. So mm-hmm. then I said, I'm not going to take any excuses. So in high school, me and my best friend, we came to school. We had polo, Tommy Hilfiger shirts, even though it was a uniform. We had the Tommy Hilfiger ties. You know what I mean? We had money. People thought we was a drug dealers, but we're like, nah, we even had the beeper phones. Y'all remember beepers? They had 40. <laughs> yeah. I was one of the first ones to have the 40 beeper. When Nextel was like, yo, you can get a Nextel phone and five other phones. I had a good credit score because I've been working for so long, paying taxes and doing what I was supposed to do. Nextel came out. I had all the Nextel phones. I had every new shit possible because I was still had a mindset of material things because now that's what my goal was. Like they're beating me up because I don't, or fighting me because I don't have what other people have, the basic shit that other people have. So now let me get that other basic shit. But now I'm feeling myself. My mom was like, Yo, if, when you get off of work, come straight home. I'm like, yo, I'm the only kid in high school that works every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I've been doing this for years. Like, I want to go hang out. And she's like, no, there'd be a party in the back of my house. You know how they used to have the parties in the back of the houses in the yard? Yeah. I look out the window and see everybody. They waving to me. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, I just came home from work from doing five hours at Mars and Crams. I smell like fish food and fish shit. And dog poo, and y'all sitting here partying in the back of my house. And my mom was like, you can't go outside. Them people there, they don't have nothing to do better with them lives. You, y'all go to school. When you go to school, you learn, you come home, you do if you do, and you don't mess with them. That was literally my whole entire two years of freshman year and sophomore year of high school. And I literally was like, man, I can't deal with this shit. So I come home late. She said, if you come home late one more time, why you bring your ass in here one more time, Leah, don't come back. I get back, 16 years old. I had a car. 
on the porch with my bag, my stuff in a black bags on the porch. She kicked me out, changed the locks. And now here I am, 16 with a job in the car, nowhere to go. I put all my shit in the car. I go two blocks down the street and um, I rent out a room in the back room of this house. No, the basement at the time. I rent out a room in the basement for like, I think it was like $50 a month or something like that. And that's where I stayed and never came back home. At 16. At 16. So when people tell me, no, Bar, you don't understand. I'm like, yo, I've been out the house since 16. I've been a man. And nowadays, there's no, there's no real men in the world because a lot of y'all, not you particularly, but a lot of them have kids. They, it gets rough and they be like, fucking them out. Yo, from 16, I literally was on my own taking care of what I needed to take care of. I learned how to pay bills. I didn't know how to write checks. You know what I mean? Like, that was not a balancing a checkbook. Like, how do you do that? You know what's crazy about this whole story is the crazy thing about this whole story is it all stems back from people trying to pick on you for not having like, you know, the latest and the psychology, yeah. the psychology behind that is crazy. When you think about the fact that people, poor like, people picking on poor people, yeah, you bullying somebody else. Cause like, yo, it's bad enough. He got to wear this shit. Now you want to mess with him too. Like, <laughs> like what are, you, what are you proving by bullying somebody because they don't like, cause they have less than less than, you know, what, what you think is less than you because like you said, Corey, a lot of poor people bullying other poor people, right? Yeah, because my thing is they used to get in their next step doing it. So now that they see an opportunity to do it to somebody else, the oppressor, uh, the oppressed become the oppressor. They, they try to, you know, take that out on somebody else because somebody else called them poor. So they was going to take that out on him. And, and the kind of neighborhood. But the man. fact of the matter is, I don't think any of y'all's poor. Y'all was living uptown, but y'all living in the same place. So, like... I don't know. Man. Anyway, I just think that's interesting because that that like, you know, talks about how you got to that point where now you're out on your own. It all stems back through your upbringing, which is an right. interesting story in itself. Like, you know, um, so now at this point, you said you're 16. You went you still went to high school, the Catholic school. I went to Doc Arnold Doc. And my dad was like this. I mean, now okay. I you, no matter what you do, you have to go to school. So my dad paid for Colonel Doherty. I went to Doherty. Here's the thing. From running from them, the people around the way for so much, I was pretty fast. And uh, I ended up on the track team, played football for Colonel Doherty. I started as a cornerback. I ran a 4-4 at the time. That was really fast. And um, I got good grades. I actually won uh, manager director of Philadelphia, mayor of Philadelphia at the time. There's a program through Powell, the Police Athletic League. And I always tell people I was famous before being famous was a thing. I was in a newspaper. I was on Wraparound. There was a show that Powell had called Wraparound, where every Saturday they would highlight people that were doing good things in the community, just like this show, By the Hood. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Officer Jones at the time was the uh, police officer of Powell, because Powell ch- just started. So they needed kids that they could use as the poster child. So we met Alan Irison. We met Pat Croce. We had a dinner. And then what the city did with uh, Ed Rendell, what they did was you could be mayor for the week or mayor for the day, however you want to call it. So for the whole week, he would uh, shade the mayor. Well, at that time, I was a freshman, and then uh, there was a senior who'd been trying for four years. And they said, listen, Jabbar, uh, this guy had been trying for four years. You really won your article, your story. We really feel how powerful that was, and Powell helped you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, who really runs the city, though? And they said, well, the manager director. I said, well, really? They said, yeah, the mayor's just a figurehead. He just signs off on shit. Other than that, but Joseph Fontaine runs the city. I said, well, that's what I want to do because I want to run, learn how to run a business. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's my mentality wasn't just to be the pretty picture. I always tell people, who gives a fuck who's the CFO or the CEO and he has no control? You could get bought out your own company. People don't know that, but you could have your own company, sell stocks out, and a majority owner can tell you, we don't re- believe in you no more. We're going to buy you out mm-hmm. and you'll it have- happened to, It happened to Steve Jobs. Yeah, like, <laughs> they don't understand that. So I said, let me- 
be managing director. So I was managing director for a week. This was a time when there was a fire down at a hotel. And they didn't have an emergency plan in place. And I literally followed Joseph Fontaine as they interviewed different companies for emergency procedures for hotel fires or big giant fires that the city wasn't ready for. So I did that for a week. And literally people would come up to me like, yo, I seen you on, uh, on the radio. Yo, I heard you on the radio. Or I seen you on TV. Yo, you was in the newspaper. And at this point, I was like, yo, I could use this. And I, I think I got 36 phone numbers in two days. And it was just like, girls would come up to me. I'd be like, oh, yo, let me get your number. What's your name? And <laughs> mind you, I went from being a nerdy kid in grade school who got beat up to being the most popular kid in school. Seniors was like, yo, who are, who's Jabbar? And then I always had money because I worked. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, y'all don't work? Their parents took care of them. So I'm like, damn, this is crazy. Yeah. So long story short, it was like, Officer Jones looked out for me. My white teacher in uh, eighth grade looked out for me. And it was just different people who would look out for me that didn't have to. They weren't related to me. That were just strangers who were like, yo, I see what you've gone through. Let me support you and help you get further. So it was always ingrained in my mind, like, all right, so when I got the job at Mars Aquariums, I got my man Tone the job at Mars Aquariums. I got another friend a job at Mars Aquariums. I would just say, look, I, y'all in the same situation I was in, yo, come to Mars Aquariums, get a job and work. Yeah. And make some bread. You know what? So it's a lot of things, man, to unpack right there, but... The fact of the matter is a lot of times teachers, and I think some do, but don't recognize how you can change the trajectory of someone's life because, yeah. you know, you, you're telling the story and you have so many people that along your journey um, looked out for you and they really didn't have to, or it wasn't family. It's just people that saw something in you and looked out for you. Um, that's the one thing. Another thing I noticed is you're, you're a master networker. I'm going to tell you how I know this, right? Even talking to you offline, you remember names very well. That's a skill. Like you remember people's yeah, names from I don't back like in the anyone's name. <laughs> Yo, I he pulls names out from like the eighties and nineties. Like it's like he just saw them yesterday. You remember names? Only very people well. I make money with or done deals with. Got you, got you. Okay, okay. so Nikki will tell you Jabbar will mess a name up in a minute. If we've never made money together, I don't know. Oh, your so, name. That's, so that's the key. Someone, someone that you got some bread with. You remember that name? Yeah, because I had a man. So my man Rich and uh, this guy who I used to wash his cars. So one of the things I grew up with. We all grew up idolizing drug dealers. I don't know why the black culture is like that, but it's really from the TV shows. And um, I used to watch his cars. And one time he pulled out a million dollars cash on me. He had about two, 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 200 pounds of weed in the basement. And he said, yeah, I, got, I don't need to buy houses or buy anything. I got hood credit. Pulled it out on me. And I'm here sweeping his basement because he looked at it like, little nigga, you sweeping my basement, washing my cars. How you going to tell me what to do? But at the time, my cousin was a cop. At that time, he was a cop. He's now a detective. He said, look, Tell your man he's going to get locked up. You better take that money, buy some properties. And this is in North Philly. So I grew up in the, the hustler environment. Yeah. But what they would do is they would tell me like, yo, don't do what we do because you're going to end up getting in trouble and you ain't built for this. You're smart. You talk proper. Because when I went to Marge and Cram, they always corrected me. And it made me stop using Jamaican slang when I was talking to people because I knew how to switch. And then my mom, she kind of did the same thing. She'd be like, why don't do this? And next thing, Hello. Uh, who's that? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. And then I realized how you got to switch up. And most people, they'd be like, no, you got to keep it real, gangster. And I'm like, well, you, how far is that going to take you? I mean, what's your goal? So then I start learning, all right, well, I'm going to have to copy these people and understand the situations that I'm in and how to maneuver out. And then um, I was going to Vegas. At that time, I still was going to Vegas. My best friend's mom would go to Vegas. We had money because we worked. And she was like, yo, if y'all got the money, you can go. My mom told me, I don't care where you go. You're grown. You're out on your own. As long as you can pay for it and you still go to school, cool. So 
I think I got locked up in um, 2000 or 1999. I got locked up because, of course, hanging around the people that I wasn't supposed to. It was the biggest raid in the history of Philadelphia on a, a broad, and, uh, broad and Diamond. I was in a raid with 88 other people. So that's why I always tell people when they try to tell me all the bad they got, here I am going to uh, – this time I got out of high school. I was going to Drexel. I was a freshman at Drexel. Here I am getting off the plane from Vegas. I go. Someone calls me and say, hey, can you take me to this thing they have on this warehouse? Uh, they're going to be gambling. There's going to be some girls there. You won't get high. I'm like, I don't get high. He's like, yo, but I'm going to pay you gas way and pay you to get in. So now I go in that situation not thinking, like, even though you have nothing to do with the illegal activity – because you're there, it's a problem. Yeah. Not knowing that. Guess what? They raid the shit. Me having a cousin that's a detective, he said, if they say SWAT, SWAT, don't, it's no purpose of rent. SWAT comes in, they'll shoot you and keep it moving. <laughs> no, I got you. Fact. Who shot you? The guy wearing black. Which guy wearing black? They all wear black. So literally, I put my hands behind my back, got on the ground, they locked us all up. We went to court for a, over a year, if you look on the tape, people from Texas, people from all over is calling. People telling my mom at church, like, yo, oh, I feel so bad for you. She said, that dumb idiot. I told him stop hanging out with his cousins and his friends. He was going to get locked up one day. So she didn't take my call. When they say you got one phone call to make, I called my mom. She denied the call because she told me, when you leave my house, you have left my house. You get yourself in an issue or problem, you get yourself out the issue or problem. You a man. You are grown. You don't live in my house no more. You pay your own bills. You got your own responsibilities. And, and that's what I tell people, like, you got, you're raising kids that are men not to be men because every time they get in a situation, you jump out the window to help them. Oh, my son wouldn't do that. Oh, my son didn't shoot no gun at nobody. My son don't sell drugs. My, your son does it. You just don't know he does it. Or even if you do, you just turn a blind eye because he keeps Some people just deny. I've seen people who are stone cold killers and their mom will tell you, no, they don't. Like everybody, everybody look at her like, your son got Wait five bodies. Your yeah, son got five Wait bodies. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, I understand. So this is, this is a, you have a very interesting story, man. Like, you know, um, all over. So you got out of, um, you said you went to McDevitt, right? Uh, Colonel Doherty. Colonel Doherty. Not, I'm sorry. You went to Doherty. Indeed. I'm sorry, right. not, not, the wrong the wrong Catholic school. So you went to uh, Colonel Dockery. Oh, you all right? So okay, okay. I lived across the street from there for the last twenty years. Oh yeah, that's right. So all right, so you went to school with Los then, my man Los. Uh, he, yeah. Okay, cool. That's what's up. Yeah. Alvin Williams and all of them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you went in '96. I went. I started Dockery. I started uh, Drexel after I graduated. I had a job at Martin's Aquariums. I started to work at Phila Bagel. It's a bagel shop because I could get there at 5 a.m. So, so a couple of things. You've always worked. Like from the, from, the, from the day you could to today, you always, you stay working, right? All yeah. right. So that, that's, that's, that's one thing. And that's probably like, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but like probably hereditary, like you about hard work. Um, so that's interesting right there. So when you went to Drexel, what was your major? What was your goals going into Drexel? So when I got to Drexel, here's the funny story about Drexel. And this is why I tell people that, you know, I like, you ever heard the secret? There's a, a video called the secret. There's yeah. a thing called the mm -hmm. book, you know, positive vision boards and all that. So mm -hmm. my senior year at Doherty, um, I had to change my grades around because of course I'm playing sports. You can only, you could have a 2.9 to get a scholarship. And my senior year, I think I had a 3.6 and overall my four years I had a 3.2. So when people say, Oh, but I had to work, I had to work too. When I left football practice i would take my bike go take a shower take my bike and ride to martin's aquariums from doherty so from uh doherty to martin's aquariums is like five miles maybe a little bit more 
then I would work till nine, then catch the ride my bike back to uh, back home. And I did that every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from uh, five to nine on Saturday on Fridays. And then if I didn't have football, I'd work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And then on Sunday, I worked from 9 a.m. to uh, 1 or 2, 2 p.m. And then when I got to college, what happened was I worked so hard, I got a, you know, I got a, uh, I got a car. And when I got the car, I was like, shoot, how do I pay for the car? I got to work more. <laughs> now I got this car. I had a red Acura. And um, every, I kept getting pulled over by the cops. So when people would be like, oh, I'm like, yo, I would sit there, work, bust my ass, get pulled over by the cops. And I was working these two jobs. And then I was in, in uh, Phila Bagel. And the lady came in and she said, well, I'm a human resources for UPS. Uh, don't you go to college? I said, yeah, I go to Drexel. She said, you should come in because we pay for Drexel. I said, what you talking about? This is my, I'm on my second year at Drexel and they're paying for it. I'm like, yeah, because I, I got my felony my second year, my uh, sophomore year. So I get to UPS. I get the job. I'm the fastest hire in the history of UPS to supervisor in two weeks. I did uh, one week, really. I did one week of training. And then the next week I was there because it was 106 in at uh, UPS. I stayed. Everybody else quit. And I was the only one going to Drexel in the whole company that stayed and like, yo, we're going to pay for Drexel for you. So I literally stayed at UPS for the next uh, five years, six years. I did six years. During that time frame, I still worked at Phila Bagel. I worked at Marge Aquarium, not at Marge Aquarium because he closed. I worked at UPS and I worked as a, uh, got my real estate license at Caldwell Banker. And Listen, I, I can tell you right there, before you finish it, I could tell you that you, you, you about that different life because I worked at UPS for like a couple hours and I was like, you know what? <laughs> this ain't for me. <laughs> so I had military people quit in a day. Military Listen, that, that ain't no, listen, Corey, I don't know if you had an experience because that is no joke. I, I didn't even go. I, I, see, I was in the military, so I, I, actually, I went to the actual military. So, because I, I, I didn't want to be working at a UPS, so I went to the military. But I understand that 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 that, that concept. Man, listen, listen, that that that's back. So, salute to you. I see why the 106 rolled out. So, <laughs> but you 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 kept you kept it moving though. Yo, UPS had a 67 percent turnover ratio. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the the 67 percent ratio. Over like oh time frame we talking about the first week, yes the no first joke. week there and the, and here's the crazy part the first twenty four hours that you got a trainee they quit fifty percent of the time. That's me. I'm in that fifty percent. <laughs> like, you got a room full of eight people. You know half the people going to quit. Out the four the the five people that stayed, four or five of them or four or three of them are going to quit. That's no joke. The so, only yeah. reason they stay is either they have health problems because UPS had crazy health problems. Or they're going to a school and UPS is paying for your school and your mom and dad are like, yo, we ain't paying for it. So UPS, I would tell people, they pay for school. So my two years full-time at Drexel, um, I don't know, it was maybe like $36,000 a year back then. Drexel was like a $200,000, $300,000 school if you stayed the whole six years. But they did a, a co-op. They did a six-month co-op. So I picked Drexel. But back to my um, vision board story real quick. My senior year of high school, the lady who was the recruiter for Drexel, I interviewed, I sat down and talked to her. She told me out of all the schools in the United States, Drexel only had, Drexel does two co-ops for six months. You get paid to work. She said, most internships, you don't get paid to work. I said, wait a minute, excuse me? You mean I work for 10 hours, eight hours and y'all don't pay me? She said, yeah, that's your internship for most schools, but we have two paid six month internships. Mm -hmm. I said, wait a minute, that's for me. I never applied to any other school. I literally only applied to Drexel. And at that time, Drexel was like that, Hope School, where there was no black people, not a lot of black. I think at that time, there was only maybe 2% black people in the school. I got to Drexel my freshman year. I walked in, what, what my major was going to be was uh, computer engineering. I get there, I look, in the, I look around the room, 
and I see that the engineering uh, 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 stadium full, I see all these full things. I look at IS, Information Systems and Technologies, and I only see Indian, Chinese, and some race I didn't even know. It was 15 of them. Now, I don't know about you, but if you see competition, you could be like, I want to go against the best. But then I thought about it. Well, who owns businesses? Who are always owning shit that we buy from? Indian and Chinese, other cultures. And I said, I got 200 people in this line. I got 150 people in this line. I'm switching my major. And the lady was like, what do you mean you're switching your major? You didn't even start your major. I said, ma'am, there's 16 people in this line going here to go follow this person around about some IS stuff. There's 200 here. My success is going to be for me to get into this line of 14 people. So day one of walking onto Drexel's campus, I changed my major, which I tell people all the time. Don't, you're not a tree, you're not a, a mountain. So you have to say to yourself, what am I doing right now is that congruent to my future, to what I want to be successful, is I have to pivot. So move. There's so many people that get in bad situations, bad partnerships, and they get in a bad relationship and they stay because, oh man, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm going I'm to I'm uh, wait this out. And I'm like, for what? You only have one life. And every time I got in trouble, I realized it was on me. And if I had made the decision when dude told me he was going to pay for me to go into that building, I should have said, yo, I'm going to drop you off and leave. Mm -hmm. This ain't my, my ski low. But because he's like, I ain't got no way home, I should have been like, man, go order a taxi or something. But I ain't about this life. So when I got locked up, I had to blame myself. I had to look back like, damn, I should have just told dude no. But That's I an interesting perspective. Like, if it's not, if, it, if whatever you're doing is not helping you towards your end goal, you probably shouldn't be doing it. I like, I like that. That's right. an interesting perspective. And then I realized on my personality, who I am, I've always told people no. I've realized, they'd be like, Bar, I need to be like, nah, I'm good. And they'd be like, no, I got this great idea. No, I'm not going to argue you because what always happens is people will argue you for your failures and their own failure. They'll tell you, I got this great, great idea. Bull called me the other day, was telling me about Shushu. And I'm telling him, I know about, I told him I don't mess with voodoo. He was like, oh, no, it's not voodoo. It's where you give this person money and they give this person money. And he kept blowing up my phone. I said, dog, I'm Jamaican. It started with Jamaicans and Islanders. Yeah. You Americans are taking it over. And here's the problem with it. Y'all doing PayPal, y'all doing tracking. We used to just do it to help somebody get a home or help somebody get their kids to school. So how are you telling me about something I already know? But he's like, yo, you should get involved. No, I'm not. You're fighting. It's like someone tell you to sell drugs and you tell them you don't want to sell drugs. And in our culture, they look down on you for not doing the thing that you believe is wrong. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. I mean, you're not cool. You're not down. No, I, I know the problems. Like I've told him, I said to him, I've been locked up before. I got a felony because I was there. They don't care if you had no involvement. Were you there? Yes. Great. You're guilty. That's it. Yeah. And, I, and for all those there, people out there watching or listening, stop giving me them calls too. I get calls and texts every day, every day. And like, you know, so I know it's going through fully crazy. So, um, but to each his own, <laughs> that's what you want to do, do that. But it ain't my, my thing either. And everything's not for everybody. So when you get this felony, how did that affect your collegiate career? What happened to you at Drexel? Were you able to finish out or what happened? So here's what happens at Drexel. Here's what happens at UPS. Literally, I'm at UPS. The, the guy who runs the whole building calls me into his office. Hey, Jabbar, uh, did you have a red hat on? And were you on the news on CNN for doing something wrong? And I'm like, uh, yep, that was me. He said, what's going on? I said, well, I told him the story. I said, I was there. And I, I told him exactly what happened. And he was just like, listen, um, <laughs> you're a good worker, but you might have problems. So I think you're going to end up here for the rest of your life. And I said, what? I said, Damn. no, man. 
He said, nah, he said, you get that charge, a felony one. And remember, they charge us with felony one. I was like, he's like, I don't think you have a job. And at this time, I was interviewing for Enterprise because now I'm an IS major. There's not that many IS majors at that time. Enterprise was hiring for a new computer person. One of the kids I had that I was uh, managing as a um, as a, one of the UPS, his mom was the regional uh, director for hiring. So he said, yo, my mom can hire you. And she tells me, oh, yeah, Jabbar, you're in the running to make 150000 a year. Mind you, 150000 a year in 1999. Soon as I get this charge, she sees me on TV. I come back for the third interview, which they sign off and say, yeah, we'll start you off in this little part-time program, you know, while you're still in school, blah, blah, blah. She said, yeah, Jabbar, um, you didn't make it. Huh? I'm on the third interview. Because they're not hiring a felon. Even though I didn't get charged with it at the time, they're like, yo, until you get out of that situation, we can't touch you. Now, I'm like, what do I do? Because I'm thinking like, damn, I'm stuck at UPS. My supervisor at the time was a theme, uh, this lady. She said, well, Jabbar, I heard you're going to be a lifer. I said, what? Because, of course, now the, my head guy had to tell her what the situation was because, of course, I had to go to court a couple of days during the week. And they, court is the craziest thing. They dragged that shit out. For months, when you're like, if you're going to make us guilty anyway, just say guilty on the first two months. Why are we six, seven months into this? I'm paying a lawyer all the money I saved up, $5,000. And this is the other thing I tell people about courts. You go to court, it's a federal or it's any kind of thing where you're going to get a felony one, automatically you want $5,000 or $25,000 up front. End of story. There's no if, ands, about, about it. They want that bread. The lawyer, he wants money. The court system goes, we're going to charge you court costs. So every time you get in trouble, it's like you're, you're working you backwards. You're losing money. So I'm going through the process thinking like, well, there's no way I'm going to get in trouble because I ain't had nothing to do with it. The judge was the hanging judge who gave you, who used to tell you, count the tiles in the ceiling. Most people have gotten in trouble. Who knows this guy? He said, count the tiles in the ceiling. You'd be like, oh, there's 14 tiles. You got 14 years. Yeah. And you'd be like, what? He, and when I was in court, he told this girl, look out the window. She said, what? He said, count the pigeons outside. She, she said, what? He said, count the pigeons. <laughs> and I'm like, this dude is nuts. She said, the seven pigeons. He said, you got seven years. <laughs> I swear to God, on my kid's life, a girl came in there. She, was, she had a baby. The baby was two months old. She said, I told you, if I see you back in my courtroom, I'm roofing you. I'm like, he not about to roof the girl that just had a two-month-old baby. He roofed her. He said, count the buttons on your shirt. She counted 14 buttons or 12 buttons. He gave her 14 years. Listen, everybody who's ever did any real crime knows this judge is. And he literally did that to everybody. He gave you, tell you, listen, you're doing something good in your life. Because he told me, he said, you're in school? I said, yeah. He said, how long are you in school for? Now, I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, this boy going to give me five years. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I'd have been like two weeks. <laughs> I'm in school for two weeks. <laughs> I'm about to leave now. Yo, and I'm sitting here sweating. I say, uh, I go to Drexel. I'm in a co-op program. Um, um, I'm going to be here five years. I got like five more years. And the boy said, guess what you got? Five years parole. He said, if I see you back in my courtroom in this five years, you're getting five years. I believed him. Literally, once he said that, I was done. I said, everybody, yo, y'all cut off. I'm not messing with y'all. I don't care what you call me for. Don't call me for it. I'm good. I'm straight. Five years, he gave me probation. This is my first time ever being in trouble. I never got in trouble. I was the city's poster child 
and I'm getting five years parole and a felony one. Wrong place, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. And I tell people what's so crazy is as time was going on, I had realized how I was being weak-minded by letting someone dictate what I did with my life. And people do that all the time where they'll, their whole thing is, how can I be a part of your, your situation? Even though their shit's fucked up, they're like, yo, if I get with him and he helped me with my fucked up situation, it'll be good. And you're like, that's not true. You're really going to fuck up this person's life. And men and women go through it all the time where they meet somebody who they see or think is good for them. And even though they have a bad situation and they bring you involved, you should say, you know what? I can't be a part of that situation. And you know the crazy part about that, in my experience, a lot of times you know your gut tells you. Your, your, your gut will tell you, right? You, and you already know, which is why you can look back and say, this is really my fault. My, my grandmother used to have it saying, everybody that's good to you is not good for you. Yeah, 100%. Listen, that's 100%. And then hit, during that time frame of working at a UPS and realizing I might be stuck here, the lady back to the Ford, now the lady said to me, well, since you're stuck here, you should go get your real estate license. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm not getting my real estate license. Get up the hell out of here. I'm going to Drexel University. She said, uh, you have a felony one. You ain't going nowhere. I did not know what a felony one meant. Like, I didn't know when you put felony on your application, you might as well not fill out the application. Like, there's no redeem, no redemption for felonies. So, literally, I'm like, this is the craziest shit ever. Like, everybody I put application is like, oh, nope, denied, 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 denied. So, then she's like, yeah, I'm buying properties. And you can, I'll let you buy properties from, uh, I'll buy properties from you. I'm not promoting you. <laughs> You're not getting promoted. You'll be a part-time supervisor for a long ass time. And literally I'm like, nah, but I come in early. I leave late. I bust my ass. And she's like, I don't care what you do. You have a felony. You ain't going nowhere. And I was like, I didn't know politics. I went to HR. I went to everywhere. They're like, it took me 24 years to get hired. It took me 16 years to get this position. And here you are, get promoted in a week. You fucked that up to go hang out with some drug dealers. Oh, no, you, you, you're not going nowhere. And then the uh, Hackney said, I said, man, I'm going to quit. And uh, shout outs to Hack, Steve Hackney. He was a military guy with the army. He used to walk around with a bullhorn. He said, listen, UPS will be here with or without you. So you can either use it to finish your degree and finish your education, or you can quit and see how hard it is to get a job. But I suggest you stay, bust your ass, let them pay for school, and then see what happens later on down the line because I didn't, you could get your, uh, your charges expunged if you keep a clean record for whatever. You know what I mean? I didn't know that at the time. I was just frustrated. So I stayed. And during my time at UPS, I think I promoted like 14 other supervisors because in my mind it was like, well, if I can't go anywhere, let me help other people get to where they need to get to. Mm-hmm. Because oh, man, now you're, it's a gold, like, you're a golden heart dude, man, because I know some bitter-ass people that would have been like, if I ain't, ain't going nowhere, I yeah. ain't not going nowhere either. Exactly. I know most people would have did that did it that route but you you're a golden heart dude man like right. you was like all right let me let me make that move man so That's here's dope. what happens she now tells me to go get my education i'm arguing with her my our detective fairweather says to me yeah go get your real estate license i'm like yo this is crazy i gotta get a real estate license and sell real estate i go to drexel because that's what my mindset was so the only real estate classes i could take was on saturdays at temple university from 8 to 12 mind you i'm in drexel i work at ups um, I still, I worked at Philobagel and now I got to take Saturday classes for seven months. So for seven months, when I get there, the guy at the class was like, yeah, you got to take this class, blah, blah, blah. I get a letter from Caldwell Banker, from Drew DeMarco, anybody who buys properties or send out postcards. Yep. We know who, who he is. Marco is. You know who he Marco, is. Marco, at the time when I met him, he only owned about 200 houses. Now I think he's up to 895. So I'm getting a letter from him. He said, listen, if you want to be a real estate agent, go with anybody else. But if you want to learn how to make money, come with me. 
And I was like, what? That's too crazy. So look, I get, I go with him. I get my license. The lady, she kept her word. She bought houses from me in Pottstown. She was buying the properties in Pottstown for like, at that time, 25,000. She fixed them up, rent them out for like 750. And she's like, look, I'm building my wealth this way, Jabbar. So in your situation, you're going to have to learn how to make money without a job. And this white lady was telling me this shit. And I'm thinking, I'm still mad at her. Like, yo, I could have got hired and got 60 grand. You could have promoted me. You could have let me go. You didn't she, understand that she was giving you game that's way more valuable. Yo, not even, not even understand where she had put me in position because she knew, like, you work hard, but you fucked up your future if you keep going this direction. Because you're going to always have to put down felony on the, the checkbox. So I start going there. And I'm thinking, like, how unfair life is that I'm working um, I'm going to, I'm working uh, two jobs, going, no, going to two schools and working three jobs. And here's the third job was called a banker because Drew hired me to call a banker. This is before the felony became the felony because basically went like a year out before I actually got charged. I told Drew about what happened. He's like, you're just being dumb. I don't care as long as you can sell properties. So from five to nine at night times and on Sundays, I took floor time. Back then at Caldwell Banker, yep. uh, Caldwell Banker Realty One, you have to do floor time. Floor time. Around what year was this? Uh, 2000. Yeah, that's around. Like I had my license back then. I had to do floor time with uh, Virginia Mesa, Mesa Realty. So I used to do all the floor oh, yeah, time. Yeah, I know Mesa. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But um, interesting thing about your story um, is what I'm thinking about as you tell this story is how many people get caught up in something similar and feel sorry for themselves and just like you know to say forget forget the whole thing. So she was actually a blessing to you because she was giving you game when she really didn't have to. And put you in position to leave. You had a lot of people that wouldn't let you quit. You had a lot of people that wouldn't let you quit because you you kept trying to bang your head against the wall. They kept (laughs) moving the wall out the way. Yeah, nah, buddy, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. They kept moving the wall out your way. You kept trying to run into the wall, and they was like, "Nah, man." And that's probably why you try to help other people. That's probably why you try to help other people because you know, even subconsciously, you probably recognize that. You know, without her giving you that game and putting you, and even Drew DeMarco, like, look, if you can make bread, I don't care about none of that. Can you make some bread? Like, so, um, that, so you have a lot of people look out for you. Right. And here's Drew. One thing that people, when they see rich people, they don't understand the effort that they put to get to that position. Drew would look at 22 houses a week, every week. And mind you, I worked for him for six years. So I, I didn't, you know, he was a beast. And I used to be like, why are you looking at all these properties? He's like, why not? And he would drive. His, uh, at the time, he had a Jaguar. He would drive his Jaguar and look at 22 properties. If you sent him a property, it didn't matter whether it's Kensington, Fishtown, the bottom, wherever it was, he'd drive up. He was an Italian dude, walk, walk in, look at the property. And he used to say, if they don't give me 22 or 25 properties to look at, they ain't doing their job. And he would buy seven houses a week. And that's not an exaggeration. He'd buy seven houses a week. Uh, he'd buy from all the REO companies. And what would happen is, at a certain point, when I got my credit to 720 and I could buy properties, I was like, look, man, um, Y'all should sell me the properties. They're like, no, Drew buys seven houses a week. He makes offers on everything and he's cash. And we don't know who the fuck you are. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. So then Drew was like, well, you could buy houses from me for no money and um, I'll take care of you. Mind you, now I'm looking at him like, you're just trying to make money off of me. You, you ain't selling me no houses for no money. You got closing costs because what you learn in real estate school is you have a down payment. You have closing costs. You have transfer taxes. Philadelphia is 2%, 2.2, I think now. You know what I mean? Like you got all those other fees. You got title insurance, regular insurance, mortgage insurance, PMI. Like you got all this other stuff. So I'm like, I ain't got no money. But here's the thing about knowing a lot of uh, street pharmacists. Guess what they have a lot of? Cash. <laughs> Cash. And no credit. 
They don't know about LLCs. They don't know nothing about LLCs or any of that stuff. So, of course, I had talked to a, a family member and I said, listen, uh, your child is going to go to jail or get shot. Now, I got a 720 credit score. I know you got his money. Uh, you should give it to me and I'm going to buy houses from this, from Drew. And he fought me for about two years. Like, I ain't giving, I'm not doing that, man. I make 15000 a week. You crazy. And this time he's like 18, 19 years old. And I'm like, dude, everybody around you is dead or in jail. It's not going to last. That like, run is not going to last. You, you, your odds is really small, dog. <laughs> so, and I'm telling his mom, who got his money, like, yo, I'm trying to save his life. A couple of times I saved his life because I always tell people I'm different. If me and you bang together, we, we bang together. Whatever it goes on, it goes down. Someone came on this block to shoot him because they had rolled on his brother. And I said, yo, if you kill him, you go to jail. Now your brother lose you. And I'm standing in front of the house while he's about to come out. Dude got the gun and the pistol. I'm like, yo, man, like, you can't shoot my cousin. Like, we can't let this shit happen. Like, like we just want to have to fight this out because – and I knew him from playing football because I played football for four years. I ran track, baseball, all the other stuff I did. And I realized, like, yo, trust me, man, it ain't worth it. Hear his whole side of the story. I said, if you want to roll on him, I'll watch. Like, but you can't shoot him while I'm on the block. Like, that's not going to happen. And then I'm an eyewitness. So I'm telling you now, it ain't going to go down like you think. So he walked away. He didn't. They, they talked it out. He told my cousin, told him, like, look, I didn't do it, but I stayed. I ain't stopped him from beating your brother up. You know? Mm -hmm. Gross. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> we bought this bread. So I go to Drew. And at that time, um, back then it was the Wild Wild West on mortgage. I bought 11 houses in six months. And that time what Drew did was he said that uh, that Mortgage had a program where you could do uh, vacation homes at 5% down. Most people don't understand how lucky they are because back then you would get 10%, 11% interest rate. And Drew was getting 15, 12, 11, 10. And then Sunday Mortgage came out with a program that was a vacation home. You had a 720 credit score. You only needed 5% down. And Drew threw the card at me and said, look, go work this out. And um, I literally got a gift and used that gift as a down payment money. But Drew gave me 6% sales assist and a 3% commission. So 9% usually takes 8% to buy a property. So I would literally get back 1,000 hours on every property I bought. So I just bought as many as possible. I bought houses uh, for every four months. And what happened was I had to have a full-time income. That's why I tell people, y'all ain't work harder than me because to have a full-time income at a part-time job at UPS, I mean, you had to do doubles. UPS wasn't giving out doubles and nobody was taking them when they were. But guess who was taking out doubles? I was taking up as much work as possible. So I would walk into UPS at 9 a.m. I leave UPS at 2 a.m. And if I wasn't at UPS, I was at Caldwell Banker. If I wasn't at Caldwell Banker or UPS, I was at Philobagel. If I wasn't at Philobagel, I was at Drexel. If I wasn't at Drexel, I was on Temple with Saturdays. Because for those seven months, I just seen the freedom. Because I'm looking at what Drew was making a month, like 200000 a month. Like, yo, this dude is making 200000 a month. Like, what? This what? That's half of what people make for the year. He's making it a month. And I was fighting to make 60000 a year. Like, I was yeah. fighting to get a full-time job at sixty. So, so let me ask you a question. When it, when it clicked to you, right, because you were going back and forth with the, the, with the lady because you felt some type of way about what she said. But then when you recognize what you just said, like, yo, I'm fighting and acting crazy over sixty, and here's somebody making 200 a month when I was fighting for sixty a year. Like, when it clicked, how did you <laughs> – what was your mental like then? Like, how did you feel when, like, you know, everything changed for you financially when you realized, like, oh, it's a whole different world out here? When, when, what, what clicked was, now I'm telling people the game. Like, I'm going to the people who told me not to buy properties. Like, yo, here's the game plan. You got good credit. You buy houses with tenants already in them. And they're like, what? 
Nah, he making a lot of money off you. My dad was in the union. So my dad would buy a house for 14, fix it up and flip it, sell it for 42 or 45 and think he was doing something. Ah, son, I just made $19,000. And I'm like, uh, pop, he makes 200 a month. And he was telling me not to do it. Everybody around me telling me not to buy properties from Drew. So I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm on my own anyway. So listening to y'all ain't going to get me nowhere. So I bought the properties of my own. So my income went from zero, what, 15, I took my full-time income from 2,600 a month to 15,000 a month. And guess who they would come to now for everything? Me. Yep. Now the same people was telling me, don't do it, don't do it. And they're like, yeah, bro, I'm messed up, man. I, I need some help. And I, <laughs> and I wasn't, I didn't look at it. And now I didn't even, like I say, I don't, I don't forget, but I don't hold grudges. So I would give people the money, not thinking that if I'm lending you $13,000 that you got a regular job, you can't even pay me back the $13,000. I mean, but I was not in a position that I needed the money because I still worked. Even when I got to the point when I was making 15 grand a month, at this time I had uh, met some through the Greek. I used to go to Greek. I had got engaged, got married. She never had to work because I had the money. You know what I mean? So I was always telling people like, but I still worked to make sure everything was cool. Like I still got my job at UPS. I still go to Drexel and I still got these investment properties and I'm managing everything. And what the problem is, is, when you're managing everything and you don't have the support you need, the shit falls apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, like when 2007 came around 2008, when everything was falling apart, I had nobody to lean on because everybody in my circle didn't have money. They didn't have really even even had credit. And I realized, Mm -hmm. and I I tell people all the time, when you get in trouble and you've never helped other people get to your level, they can't help you because you got different level problems. Man, that's a, that's a a gem right there. That's a gem right there. Yeah, like, because like because, your bill, my bill ain't no five hundred a month, fifteen hundred a month. My water bills was eight hundred a month, a thousand dollars a month. You know what I mean? Yeah. They like, whoa, we only pay five hundred for our rent, and I'm like, what, yo? So and I and, and it caught on to me. Like I was thinking, like, damn, this is kind of for real, for real. This is what a man who hustled told me. He said, Yo, Bar, you know why the reason why I help the lost boys get what they get? And I'm like, because I used to be like, Yo, you just bought them a car. He said, so it doesn't create animosity, jealousy. He said, if they see that I'm making $75,000 a day and they ain't getting some, at least $7,500 a day, they're going to say, we got to rob him to get up. Oh, yeah, the wolf's going to come after you. But, but oh, even yeah. beyond that, like, you know, um, it's, it's the, whole, the old Jay-Z line, right? You can't fall because you got the, the crutches there. Your people are your crutches, right? So that's, that's interesting, right? So as you're on your way up, the, the more people you help, it actually helps you. Right, yeah. those situations. It's not. It's not nice to be the only one eating in your circle. Everybody got to eat. Yo, so, and I, I never understood how, when you try to explain that to some people, that you know, so during the whole time I'm doing all this, the only races that were helping me were other races, like my teacher in eighth grade. He was white. Joel Martin's Jewish. Joel, uh, uh, Drew DeMarco, Italian. The lady at UPS, Italian. No, she was Irish. She was Irish. She had red hair. She was Irish. Like, and I'm looking at my circle like, yo, this is crazy how there's no other African-Americans helping other African-Americans around the people I know. Like, I know we do it, but it's like, and I'm fighting through this, like, yo, doesn't it make sense that we help ourselves? Because when we walk to a store, we don't own the store. The chicken place we buy chicken from, fried hard, five wings for $3, is a Chinese guy. Mm-hmm. Whose kids are on the floor? We mean you were talking about the other. Whose kids are on the floor doing homework, and we making fun of them because they in this little shitty ass store in the hood. But we don't know that they drive home to Huntington Valley, to Northern Liberties, to some other place where they got a five thousand square foot home. You know what I mean? And it was just crazy to me as I watched the people around me who had money, 
how they were a part of a team, how they had a network, which was basically their net worth because they could go, man, I need a hundred thousand dollars. And they may be like, well, how much I'm getting back on a hundred? Are we going to partner on the deal? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. I got a hundred to that. I could call somebody now and be like, yo, I need $5,000. They'd be like, oh boy, I ain't got it. And I'm like, no, I needed to do this to buy a property. Yeah, I ain't got it. But then you'll see them with the newest car. You'll see them on vacation on, on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. I told you to give me five grand to buy a property that would pay you $400 profit every month. And that didn't make sense to you to spend the money on some jewelry, some clothes and a vacation that's going to last a little bit, but it ain't going to last as long as that property we were talking about. You know what that tells me? It tells me that there's still work to be done because yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done because um, the, the trust issues within our community are one thing. And also just the understanding of what you said. So I think that one of the more powerful things you said during, during this talk right now is um, the idea of your people being your crutches. Like that's that to me, that's powerful, right? Because, if you if you're building together, like if you're building a house and you're building that foundation, which is everybody getting money, then the house is less less likely to fall. You know what I mean? You may because everybody's gonna have there's gonna be periods where you you know you may struggle or whatever. But if you have a whole network and everybody is getting it, you can always pull each other up. You can always pull each other up. But you can when you can pick up the phone and say, "Yo, I've got a deal. You got credit. You got money. Let's put, let's make it happen." That's powerful because then you could pretty much close any deal. Yeah, and during this time frame. So during this time frame, market crash, I lose everything. I remember crying. My lowest point, I ended up crying in a house on Gorgas Lane. I'm divorced. I'm getting divorced. My son is two years old. She got the house. She got the two cars. I'm sitting there in Gorgas Lane on the floor crying. I never cried before. I broke my ankle, my fingers, everything. And I sat there and I looked up. I said, yo, I ain't got shit. And I was like, damn, what am I going to do? And I'm literally depressed on the thing. And I just said, well, I've been like this before. My mom kicked me out when I was 16. So, all right, I got to start over. I cried, got it out of my system and was like, all right, I got to go to work. So literally all the mail I got at my house, this is now, I'm not, I'm behind on my payments because now when 2007 uh, happened, 2008, nobody was paying you. That's why so this I was is around, this is around 08 or 09 around that time? Yeah. Okay. No one's paying me. What ends up happening is because I had nobody to go to to help me fix up the houses. I'm telling people like, yo, these houses are worth money because I got them five years ago. Like they got money in them. I just need you to lend me 5,000 so I can fix up the kitchen and bathrooms and get this shit on the market. And it was crazy because I literally was sitting there like, all right, I got to call all the people I've done business with. So I start calling all the realtors I sold houses to, all the investors I sold houses to. I'm going down my list, going down the list. And then I got these postcards in the mail and I'm looking at the postcards like, wait a minute, these dudes been sending me postcards because I'm in divorce pre foreclosure, foreclosure, um, unemployed. <laughs> I filed for bankruptcy to stop the sheriff's sale. And I hit everybody's list. And I'm like, absentee owner, landlord, mm -hmm. every list. And I'm looking at these postcards like, yo, they're sending me postcards. They got to be sending other people postcards. So I start calling people. First person I called, um, ASAP sold. The bull, uh, man, what's his name? I forgot his name, but his name is ASAP sold. Call him. And literally he said, well, me and my wife had a yellow letter. Me and my wife was driving through your neighborhood and we were looking for a home to buy. I'm, they sent it to my John and Logan at that time. Really? I said, I started laughing to him. Steve, his name was Steve. I said, Steve, come on with the bullshit, man. You ain't driving through Logan with your wife. With your wife. <laughs> you, I'm on somebody's list. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm saying, you white, aren't you? He's like, yeah. I said, come on, man. Just help me out. Listen, I work for somebody who, who's a beast because at that time, Drew offered to buy all my properties back with 5000 on each one. He said, look, I buy them all back. No problem. 
And I'm thinking about Drew, we're in a depression, shit's fucked up, how are you buying houses? And he told me, he said, well, every one of the properties I told you before, I put on a 15 year mortgage. So every 15 years, my properties have no mortgage on it. So he had 53 and clear properties. He took out from um, Prime, I forgot, Fulton Bank, he took out a $3.6 million loan to buy properties in the depression. I'm like, wait a minute, what is he doing? Yeah. Everybody's selling. Everybody losing. He, he going shopping. That's a whole different mentality. He bought 150 houses that year. Wow. 150. And literally, I'm sitting there going, damn, I can sell it to him and get out my situation, but I still be in the problems because he only gave me 5000 over what I paid him for. So I'm not even getting the equity that I built up because he wants, he's like, look, I buy all of them. I give you 5000 over each price. And I said, no, nah, let me call this dude. So what I did to start getting money was I got properties that Steve had on the contract, sold to Drew. I took a commission. Steve was looking at me like, why are you taking a commission? I was going to give you uh, half the proceeds. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, I wholesale these properties. Wholesale? What the fuck is wholesale? Now I'm like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that I don't have to have a license and you're wholesaling properties and making more than me? Because Drew was paying me $1,500. That's how he's paying me on these deals. And Steve was like, no, nah, I was about to give you $2,500. I was like, what? And then they, the light bulb went off. I said, wait a minute. I got about 5,000 postcards at all these properties. Let me go collect these postcards. Because now I'm kicking out tenants. And what happened was I had reserve money of like $29,000 over the years. But to kick the people out, to redo the property, to re-rent it. Because Section 8 was like, yo, uh, your house is damaged. We're not paying you. You got to fix it up. And now I didn't know anything about contract instruction. My man, Rich, who he did like almost 14, 15 years, came out of jail, was like, look, man, me and you can go to these houses and fix them up. While I was in jail, I learned how to fix up properties. And I'm like, nah, he's like, what else you got to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, because at this point, um, I was literally looking at UPS as like my um, part-time clutch. I still wasn't full-time. I was still only working four or five hours a day at UPS. And I'm like, damn, man, all right, well, fuck it. This is what I got to do. And literally, it changed my life because I get, I put it on the floor. 6410 Woodstock was the first property we did. I met a, a cat named Mr. Bay, at Key Bay, who's buying properties, doing um, lease options. And it was like, everybody, that, everything that you guys learn about or teach about, I lived it. So there's nobody can tell me about the process of what happens because I literally went through it because he'd buy the properties from me sell it to somebody, he, he put me on a contract. He said, well, how much you want for the house? I remember I sold him 5041 North 11th Street. He said, how much you want for the house? I said, man, I got on the market for 90, but at this point, man, I'll just take 88. He said, all right, well, listen, I'm gonna buy it from you from 140. I said, what? 140? What you talking about? He said, yeah, what did it appraise for? He said, whatever it appraised for, over your number, I get to keep. And I'm like, that don't make sense. He's like, listen, don't worry about it. <laughs> we gonna put a contracting company together and you're going to pay that contracting company to do the work to get it to $140,000 because that's what it appraised for, one hundred and forty. And I ain't going to tell the full story, but you get the drift of how that went down. Yep. Contracting company got $42,000 or whatever the case may be. He rented the property out to a, a homeowner for the hundred and fifty dollars or hundred and whatever. And I said, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that you could do this with any house? He said, yeah. You got more? I said, oh, I got plenty. <laughs> I said, it's Christmas in July. Like this, is, this is about knowing the game. And this is what I mean. Like there's so many different strategies. Like, and it doesn't matter how long you've been in the business. You always hear something and you say, you could do that. Like, you know, it, it, it's, all, it's always different plays out there because people are very creative and they, and they figure out ways to work within them lines to get stuff done. Boy, I tell you. Listen, when I tell you I'd walk into UPS, I quit UPS, retired in 2006. 
And I tell people in that time frame, 2006, 2007, when the shit was hitting the fan, where everything was going downhill, because just before there was a complete collapse, I started selling him properties. And I remember I was arguing with my supervisor because I worked and bust my ass. And I said to him, I see how much money I make a month. He was like, what? You broke like everybody else here. I said, no. So I'd show him the checks. What he made in a year, I made in a month with Zach. Because then what I realized is there's other people in trouble who got properties they can't sell. Now I'm on the MLS for them three hours, four hours a night, calling people like, yo, um, I see that listing you got. I see you listed it for 50, but I just looked at it's worth 120. How about I get you that, that money of 120 on the listing? They're like, what? Well, how? I got a contracting company that will fix up the property and then they just split the profits. And they were like, no, seriously. I said, no, let me show you my HUD. I sent him my HUD and show him what he was doing. And literally, people was, we had 62 short sales at one month. Me and my girl at the time, we had 62 short sales. We was killing it. She'd do the paperwork, i do the talking, and I was calling people like, yo, let's get it. Like, what, what, you, what you got? How much? How much is it worth? Yo, take that off the MLS. We're going to fix it up and put it back on the MLS. We're going to split the profits. You got to sign this paper. And they would go back to the sellers and sign the paper saying, hey, they're going to pay the contractor company this amount of money when it closes. Yeah, so, what, so the way that deal was structured, once they got fixed up, you would do, you would like resell with the lease with the option to buy? Yeah. Got you. Got you. So it was just okay. that it had to appraise for the number. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. So got you. It, I remember we, so my cousin, I did it with my cousin house. So basically, and this was crazy. I'm going to tell you the story. So my cousin who me and him did the business in the beginning, they had a house in, um, let's say the county. And it was on the market uh, for like, say, 346. Houses were for a million and some change. I said, yeah, we can get the property. He said, nah, we can't because I need a mortgage. I called the agent up. I said, listen, I'm going to get this to pass a mortgage. Don't worry about it. They're like, how? I said, don't worry. I got a construction company. They'll take care of it. <laughs> So the uh, house, you know how when the big houses, they have the uh, the motors in the basement. Yeah. And when you turn off the power and it's for closure, mold grows, water floods the basement. Got the power turned back on, uh, scrubbed the basement with kill paint and bleach, turned it on, the shit appraised for 560. The realtor was like, the, more, the appraiser called me, he's like, how'd you get a house for 365 that's worth 550? As is right now. I said, oh, man, you know, it's special. We got a great, uh, great uh, construction company. I got a construction company. <laughs> and we went to settlement, and they didn't believe me that closed. But I, that's also how I learned how to talk on the phone. Because when you're doing business, it's not about you. It's about the other people's needs. So mm. what I got really good at is saying, yo, I don't need the commission. You keep the commission on both sides. I started seven, me and my girl started 7% commissions. Where we keep three, we give out four. And people were like, Drew was like, this is so stupid and crazy. I said, y'all give out 7%. I'm giving out seven, 6%. I'm giving out 7%. And I'm giving a bonus if they sell the full price offer. Because on the back end, I know what the construction company was getting. Like, once I realized what the construction company was getting, and I was like, yo, we can do this. And that's how I got to learn about plumbing, electrical, framing, um, everything that's going on in the house. And then I started realizing how our people don't know those things. Like we're not in the know about how to be creative and do creative financing. And I am now living the creative financing world. Now it all came to a, a halt when the shit just hit the bottom and houses weren't appraising anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was it. But during that time frame, also Zach Key was doing uh, Forex trading. I didn't know what it was, but I just knew he'd always be able to come up the down payment money to make all this shit happen and the money. And he was like, yo, I trade Forex. It was easyforex.com or easyforex. He seen it on an infomercial. And he was like, look, when I learned I could make money without depending on other people, he was like, I just dove right in. And he borrowed 30000 from one person, 
30,000 from another person, had a 60,000 hour account. He would trade from eight to 8.30. That was it. End of story. He did that five times a week. That was it. And I was like, you mean to tell me you making 30, 50,000 a month trading? What are you trading? And then you told me what he was trading. And I said, man, I'm gonna get into it. Um, so I got into Forex probably 2009, 2008, probably by that time, but really got into learning the, the learning it. But I spent like 4,000 hours in the damn class. Cause I was like, well, if I'm gonna learn, I'm not doing no easy forex.com shit. I'm just going to buy a course yeah. from a guy who's really good from it. And um, I think my first good trade, I made $60 in a minute. Everybody in the office at Caldwell Banker was like, you made 60 bucks in a minute and you're happy. I said, yes, you don't understand what I did for it. They thought I was just talking on the phone or something. I'm like, no, I'm trading. And I was showing my FXCM account and they made it real for me because I made 60 bucks. Then about a month later, I made like $600 in a day. And as I'm doing, I'm like, man, this could really work, but I'm still young. I'm like 25, 26 years old. And I didn't have patience. So I came back to Caldwell Banker. I had the key. So I came back at night. I'm like, where everybody's going, I'm going to go trade and literally do a 2,000 hours account. Then I said, let me put it on hold. I'm not mature enough yet for this because I don't have patience. I don't really understand it. It's not really my forte. Let me go back to real estate full time and hustle it through. And that's what I did. And when the market, everything went to shit and you couldn't really move any properties because of crazy virus, Drew was still buying properties. So (laughs) he was still buying them, but now he's buying them for 25,000, 15,000 in dirt cheap. And um, it was crazy because during this time frame, uh, Steve Olszewski was buying properties in Fishtown from Drew for like 15, 20,000. And I'm buying properties in West Oak Lane, Germantown, Mount Airy, Alney, uh, Logan, because I'm buying them for 45. And I'm looking at him like, you stupid. This is Fishtown? Like, who the hell wants to be in Fishtown? And now look at it. Yeah. Listen, when Fishtown popped, he made a couple million. Easy. And I'm sitting here with my little properties going, I try just trying to get 100 for the joints I paid 65 for. And here he is again, 200,000 on a refi. And I use names because a lot of times people come on any podcast or come on anybody's show or you interview people and they're telling the story from someone else's view. They're telling you all the good, but they're not telling you the bad. They don't have names. Oh, I can't remember. Guess what? I don't believe them because they'll mm-hmm. sit there be the same people turn around and bang you over the head for 50 grand to teach you what they know. And then you realize they don't really know shit because they didn't mm-hmm. been through it. They bought a course online that they're now regurgitating to you. And when there's a problem that come up, they don't have the solutions to the problem. Me, I got lawyers, doctors, accountants, bankers, pharmacists that I've helped out of their situation because I was in a situation. And I was like, yo, you losing your crib? Oh, man, because I realized also people with bigger houses, they get into problems too because they can't afford that nut because that doctor, that lawyer who's been trying to show off has a Mercedes in the driveway, a Lexus in the driveway. When shit ain't going right, they don't have enough clients. Their, their mortgage is you know, 4,000 a month, 5,000. Listen, when, when, when stuff gets, even with now, what's happened with the whole pandemics, the people that have like the, 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 the heavier nut to crack every month, they struggle more. You know what I mean? Exactly. If, you, if, you stay, if you stay leaned on the good times, then like, you know, when the bad times come, you still lean, you, you can still take care of your, you know, your monthly obligations. So that's, that's absolutely true. And um, it's also good to share some of the, uh, the bad parts because that's what you learn from. And that, especially when it comes to like, that's why I, I I look sideways at a lot of options traders because they only show you the trades in which they win. They don't show you the stuff that blows up, which is why like sometimes um, in our, our private groups with our students, I show all the bad trades I've made. Like, yo, look at this, John. I lost X percent, right? Um, although at this point, I'm never losing anything more than 25 because I stopped loss at this point. So, but, but the point is, I'll show you when I lose. I can't just show you all the good stuff. You don't learn anything from that. When you, when you actually do something wrong, why did it happen? And what did you learn from it? That's how the other people learn. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, look, I tell people the time when I'm fucked up, I tell people, they're like, Bar, you fucked up. How you fucked up? I'm like, well, this didn't close, that didn't close. I had seven deals on the contract. Uh, the lady, she borrowed money from her husband and or whoever, and she this didn't happen. They had a water bill. Like, people get into wholesaling and don't realize, like, you're dealing with the worst of the worst situations. So anything can happen where the title's not good and you can't close, no matter what you do. Well, yeah. that person, like, when the person don't own the house, who tell you they own the house. And you put everything in their name, you like, you skipped the one step where you were like, I should have checked who owned the property. I sent the postcard said, uh, Mr. You know, Williams, and this guy Williams, who was the nephew or the cousin, got the postcard, was like, well, how much you want for the house? How much you give us? And you don't know the dude who owned it died. You get to the settlement table, about to get to the settlement table, you're like, yo, you ain't the dude I was sending the postcard to. And they like, oh man, but you told me you're trying to give me all this money for the crib. <laughs> and you like, what? I can't control that but you can't, I'm basing my income off of something that I can't control. And that's why I was like, I had, I learned how to hustle. People be like, bar, you sell cars, you sell houses, we sell tile. I'm like, yo, because as a realtor at the time, I became a value add to people because I could walk into a property and say, it's going to cost you $3.62 a square foot to sand these floors or get new floors. You might as well get new floors for $4.25. Oh, the wire this drone is about 7,500 to 10 grand. If they got to put a new box on the wire outside. Oh, that route that, uh, the trap right here, run to the street, that's about $4,800. Sometimes you get it for $4,200, $3,800, depending on what somebody charge you. Oh, yeah, the windows, they $125 a window. Somebody going to bang you for a buck fifty a window, about three. dollars With that knowledge, do you GC jobs or you still just stay on the other side with the wholesaling and investing piece? Or do you GC jobs too? Well, what I do is it depends if it's a buyer that I'm cool with and I've done business with. So I'll, back, I'll get involved in that way. You know what I mean? Where I'll, I'll be on the back of the GC or whoever's doing the work. So if there's an electrician, I'll be like, yo, I got an electrician that can do the work. I'll go over there, meet with the electrician, make sure he did what he did. The plumber, HVAC guy, my HVAC guy is probably about $65 to $7,200 for a central air system. They come in, knock it out. Even Aisha used them. She called me one day, was like, yo, bar, I need somebody. I said, I'm going to give you somebody. Because during my time of struggle, people didn't give up their contractors. Like, I'm like, yo, I need help to get these properties back. Let me borrow your man and who do work. And they'd be like, oh, no, you can't get my contract. I'm saying like, so let me get this straight. I'm trying to pay dude to do work, and you telling me you're not gonna give me his number. Listen, I know I know cats that will let you like give you their wife first before yep. they give their contractor. Like real yep. talk. <laughs> they will give you their right arm before they give up their contractor because yeah. they because a good contractor is like like a like a unicorn. Like I mean, let's let's just be honest, because ninety percent of them are trash. Like you know, no. what I mean? like oh my gosh, listen, I gotta tell you this story. So. I, back when I was losing everything and I, every shit was going to fire. This is the other thing why I don't understand African-Americans. I'm not saying that we all do this, but why do we burn our own people to get ahead? I don't understand that concept. Well, because we don't think about the long game, right? So that, that comes from, and we talk about this a lot, when you operate from a point of scarcity instead of abundance, right? Now, I do think that's kind of changing a lot. And I think the reason it's changing is because there are people like you on the front lines who are talking to people. You could give them the actual stories of how things happen. But in the grand scheme of things, I understand what you mean because – when you operate from scarcity, you want to hold on to everything. So a lot of contractors will come in, they see it, and they, they just want to eat off you instead of playing the long game. You tell them, look, I do 50 deals a month. They ain't going to believe you. They're going to try to hit you with that one deal because they don't believe that you can do 50 deals a month, right? So, and that's the problem. But they end up losing out. They lose on their own. Like They, they pretty much eliminate themselves. Dog, I had this property at 5616 Lena Street. It was the property a lady had about five kids there. I was getting $950 to $1,000 a month on that property. It was going to sheriff sale. I was like, look, if I can fix this up, I can get the money I need to catch all my properties up. I called my man that I 
the head head my man i said yo can you refer me a contractor i didn't know he was giving me joe blow off the street because he wasn't giving me the people that he used oh. which is another thing that i don't understand like i'm calling you with a need telling you what my situation is because i tell people i don't hide shit if i'm broke i tell you yo, i'm fucked up listen i did this because i don't want it to come out that oh bar lied to me about something then you come on facebook and instagram or something like yeah bar lied and anybody can check on my Instagram and Facebook every day for the last, I don't know, 10 years, as long as Facebook have been around, I've been on it and I use it as my marketing channel. So I don't, I can't be, you know, moving underground or some shit. So do come over to 5616 Lena Street. The, the basement was flooding with shit from the sewer line. I see it's cleaned up. I hand them, I think, $3,800. Check, wrote them a check for the $3,800. I see the brand new PVC pipe going into the wall. So on Lena Street, it leans down. So there's a wall between the wall that goes into like the porch, under the porch. I seen the PVC pipe going through the wall to the other side. Lady calls me back four days later, five days later. She said, Jabbar, the basement's full of shit again. How? So I'm thinking the connection or something came undone. I go to the basement, get my little galoshes on, whatever you call it. I go in the basement. I'm looking like it's leaking from where the new PVC is. Why did dude cut the PVC in half and glue it on top of the crack pipe? <laughs> what? Yo. Oh. Glued. I had called a rotor rooter, and this is how I got good with a rotor rooter guy. He said, I ain't never seen that before. He came in. Now, mind you, now I'm paying rotor rooter $4,800. After you paid the other dude $3,800. Yeah, you could have just paid the forty eight from the rip. Now I'm broke because now I'm, I'm, this is my savings because literally I'm blowing through my savings. The 29000 I had, I'm blowing through it per deal because I'm getting burnt by contractors that look like us. Now I'm calling the Yellow Pages people because now I'm like, fuck it. The only people I can call are the people I can sue. And that's another rule I have. I got to be able to sue you. If I cannot sue you, I don't do business with you. I need to go, <laughs> I'm dead like ass serious. I need to I see like your it. driver's license. How, do, how many times people do business with people they don't have to see? I tell women all the time. So you'll sleep with a man, have his baby, do whatever, and you've never seen his driver's license? You've never been to his house where he really lives? You don't know who his mom is? When I do business with people, I say, yo, I got to see your driver's license. They'd be like, what? I said, yo, let me see your driver's license. I need to know your name is who you are. Because what happens is now I go back to the same people that burnt me before, and I look. Rudy is not his real name. Mm-hmm. It was Rudolph, blah, blah, blah. Or it was Adam, whatever. We call him Bill. We, that, we, we make up these names. We don't know. You better not be chewing on something. They say, hey, if I can't sue you, I ain't doing business with you. <laughs> because now I'm paying, I'm 9000 down to cover this up. The guy from Rotor-Rooter, shout out to him, he could not stop laughing. I used to be like, yo, can you stop laughing? This shit is not funny, man. Like... <laughs> Like, he's crying. He's dying I'm the lady wouldn't leave because she's like, look, Section 8 stopped paying me. Now, here's how it banged me really hard. Section 8 stopped paying me because now the basement's full of shit. She got five kids in there. I said, listen, they ain't paying me. You ain't paying me. Y'all got to go. And she was like, well, I can't leave unless you give me my security deposit back. I'm like, what? Lady, are you out your mind? You've been here for three years, five years. I got to do new carpeting. I got to paint the walls. I got to do this. The banisters broke. Your son put holes in this. And she's like, well, you must not want me to leave. So guess what I did? I gave her back security deposit, which is first month, last month security. I gave her back security deposit. She leaves. I put a new bathroom in the property. I start doing work in the kitchen. I just did the line. So I'm like, well, I got the joint for $57,000. I think it's worth 120. And at this point, someone gave me a postcard, offered me $75,000 for the house. Cash, closing in 30 days, typical wholesale joint. 
mm -hmm. she was really buying it. John, the guy who called me was like, yo, I really got a buyer who wanted to buy it. I lost the shit to the sheriff's sale. Oh. Mind you, I'm 8,000. No, at this point, I'm 12,000 into the property. This is how that one person doing that one thing wrong banged me upside the head because that's how you don't even know how you affect somebody. But look, I lose the property sheriff's sale. Now I'm driving around looking for properties. I see a for sale by owner sign in Mount Airy because my sister was looking for a house. I said, this is the best time to buy houses because shit hit the floor. Everybody selling the house cheap. I see the for sale by owner. I call them. I leave the message. My name is Jabbar Fairweather. I'm a realtor. We call a banker. Um, my sister's interested in your house. Guess what happens? Bull called me back in a panic. Are you Jabbar Fairweather that own Lena Street? And you own like 12 other houses? I'm like, yes. I love you. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yo, I bought your crib from Sheriff's Sale for 67000 I sold it for one seventy. He said, I got in the property. There was new electrical, new plumbing, a new bathroom, and damn near a new kitchen. He said, I just put a half bath in the back. I finished out that basement. I dug the basement down, finished out the basement. I sold it for one seventy. You got any more? I went to go get a drink. I went to that's, Fridays that's, that's and ugly. sat there and just drank. That's ugly. Let me ask you a question, though. So once you understood the wholesaling game and how to be creative financing, have you always maintained your license um, or you decided just to go like? Uh, I let it go. I got fined um, $1,000 for selling my own properties. What? So here's what happened during that time frame. Now, mind you, I'm losing all these properties. I listed my own properties on the MLS. Mm -hmm. Now I'm working to keep afloat because I'm paying all these mortgages. I'm, I lost two properties. I lost four, four, 422 East Mechanic Street. I lost 5606 Croson Street. And I lost Lena Street. Those three I lost. You also remember your addresses. That's, that's nuts too. Like I remember blocks like the such and such hundred. You remember the exact addresses. But go ahead though. Go ahead though. Think about it. I'm now working these properties to fix them up, to re-rent them out. So I'm going to remember the eight hours I put in 422 Mechanic Street with the back, with the water keep coming out the back. And that's, you know, most properties, people don't realize in Germantown, the houses are really old. Yeah. So the walls need to be parged all the time because they got the stone in them. So as soon as water comes, it's coming into the basement, which causes the fungus. So I've been in all my properties and I just realized like, yo, I got to be careful with that stuff. I had 34 East Rittenhouse Street, 239 East Haynes, 21 East Herman Street. At 5041 North 11th Street. I got one on Herman. I got one on Herman Street now, that same hundred block. And I was actually looking at um, there's a development deal on 22 East Rittenhouse now. So that's the same block that you had yours on. Yeah, 30 PC Rittenhouse. The problem with that street is the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the water, the sewer. Every time the, it would back up, the bathrooms, every time you flush the toilet, be a problem. Anything, anything that goes in that toilet, be a problem. And I sold that with the quickness, like just to get rid of it. So Back to the guy told me he sold it. Now I'm sick drinking because I'm like, yo, this white man just bought my property for 67,000 a sheriff's sale that I told everybody had equity in it. So now here's what goes on. Another mortgage rep that I said, called me up and said, well, you know, Mr. Fairweather, maybe we can refi you out. I said, man, you can just take these properties. <laughs> like at this point, I'm like, just take them and get off my head. He said, well, I'll buy all of them. And we could do what you did with that dude uh, with the construction company. And that's what I did. So, and at that point I realized I got enough knowledge that I don't need other people. Like I don't need a job and I've been working at UPS. They sent me a letter saying, Hey, if you want to retire, you can retire at UPS and we'll pay you out because you, you hit as a supervisor, you had to be there five years to get your pension. At this point, I've been there six years. I'm stressed because as I'm struggling during the daytime, now I'm going to UPS struggling to fighting with grown ass men to do their jobs. And I'm sitting there telling them about real estate and they're like, well, you, you talking about real estate, but you here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're right. I quit. <laughs>
put my two weeks in. After I banged him over the head showing where my checks were, I said, yo, I quit. And I left. And at the time, my ex, my ex-wife was like, well, you got to go back and get a job. I'm like, yo, why do I got to go back and get a job when I paid for you to go to school and you, you, you can go do your degree? Now you want me to go back to work. Now everybody want me to go back to work because now you can't come to me to depend on me. Yeah. Because now all my money's coming from real estate. It ain't no stable check coming every month. Like, hey, hey. So you got to hustle. Now I'm out there hustling. But then I start banging and meeting other investors who really were like, they didn't know how they knew me. But y'all knew me from me losing all my properties. <laughs> like, they didn't realize they knew Jabbar Fairweather. Like, that name sounds familiar. I bet it does. Because I'm on all your list. So now I'm like, let me network and maybe I can make this a real full-time career. So I start networking, going to events, meeting people that were like, yo, you, you know, your hustle is crazy. I met all the REO people from through Drew. And this is back when you used to bring the contracts. You would fax contracts over 15,000 times. A page be missing. It'd be dark, too dark. You got to resend it. I was a type dude like, man, let me just take that to them. Oh, they're in Jersey. I got a car. We driving to Jersey. I go drive to Jersey, hand you three copies, get the three copies signed and drive back because I was so frustrated with the fact that this whole faxing back and forth shit. Like, yeah. yo, let's just get this shit signed and get the deal done because I need to close to pay some bills and catch up. So I say all this to say, at that time, then I met my man who was in um, pharmaceuticals. He said, Bar, what are you doing? I said, man, struggling through real estate, excuse me, right now. You know what I mean? He's like, well, I'll pay you $100 a day to uh, drive cars and, and go get you know, my medications while you're driving around. So that's what I did. And then we started doing that. He was like, look, I come back with prescriptions. And he'd be like, what are you doing? I said, well, the lady needed other drugs. So I asked her, then she told me her girlfriend needed it. So I'm going um, to bring back scripts. He said, why don't you be our sales rep? I'm like, our sales rep? What are you talking about? He's like, be my sales rep for the pharmacy. And at that time, what he used to get the pharmacy was I sold him a duplex up in Sheltonham for like 50 he refined and it took, took the 50,000 off of that and then put it back into open his own pharmacy company. Cause I told him, I said, you work for CVS Rite Aid and they keep firing you because most companies do this. As you get older and make more money, they can hire somebody younger from out of college for half the money you get paid. Mm -hmm. So we used the real estate to open up the first pharmacy. I started helping them with the second pharmacy. I took it from one farm to two pharmacies to six pharmacies. So those skills you learned in business in terms of real estate negotiating and things like that helps you in other businesses. Man, we bought a, a 44,000 square foot nursing home. I spent about a million of his money that year or two years, maybe three years. And I worked with him for five or six years, but it wasn't really work because it was really just him paying me to drive around and do what I normally do while I was doing real estate. He said, yo, still do your real estate, make me money in real estate. But he's like, yo, I got you. This dog is eating up the pen. So my question is this, though. So what, ha what was the deal that got you uh, banked up with your real estate license um, as you were trying oh, to steal so, the deals together? So here's what happened. I listed the properties and um, Zoe, if you don't stop, um, listed the properties and my license elapsed. So I'm stressed. So I'm hustling and working. They had a class to go to in, um, let's say, in Ben Salem. Normally, go to the Benson class. You sit there for seven hours. They give you the answers. You leave. Continue ed, you mean? Continue ed. I got to do mine now. I got like 20 days left, but go ahead, though. <laughs> <laughs> they don't play no games of that. So now, I'm sitting here. So I was also at – I worked at the first Keller Williams, too, but that's another story. So I worked at first Keller Williams. I went to Keller Williams in uh, New, the New, Newtown Square when they had a meeting. And they were different than Caldwell Banker. That's why I left Caldwell Banker. At that point, I learned kind of like everything I needed to learn, but he never taught me how to be an agent. So then I'm like, Keller Williams comes out and like, listen, we'll teach you how to be an agent and teach you how to buy properties. And we'll teach you a new way. It came out the book, 
how to be a millionaire investor. Yeah, yeah, real estate, millionaire, real estate. Well, agent and investor, they got both of them. Right. So now I'm like, well, screw this. Drew didn't teach me shit. He just taught me how to, he didn't teach me shit, but buying properties from him. So I was like, well, now I got to be a full-time agent. I need to go to an office that would teach me how to be an agent. That was my thinking at the time. So I go to them and they're in Newtown Square. I'm like, they're like, yo, did you take your continuing ed class? I'm used to how Caldwell Banker did it. Y'all show up here, sign in, sign out. Y'all good. Got you, got you, got you. They were on the, yo, you got to learn this shit online and do your 21 hours or 14 hours online on your own. Pay for it yourself at that time. I'm like, wait, what? I got to pay the $2.99 to, for the class or $4.99 for the continuing ed class? Yeah, and you got to find your own place. We'll give you a suggestion. They gave us like seven suggestions. So now I go online to do it and they make you literally go through all seven, 14 hours. Yep. And if you get less than a 75, you got to start over from the beginning. Listen, I'm going through it right now. Um, shout out to McKissick. I'm going through it right now. <laughs> so no. I know what you're talking about. That's why I ain't finished it. I always wait to the last minute. But, but all right, think so- about it. Now I'm at work at UPS. This is where the conflict with the UPS thing came because now I'm at UPS at nighttime when I'm trying to do this class. I come home, I fall asleep. So then they, uh, when I left, I said, screw this. I'm going to go back to call a banker. When I went to go back to call a banker, the broker or the assistant broker at Keller Williams reported me, said his properties were listed without him having a license. So the, wow. the real estate board banged because I was still doing deals. Like I'm a generator. Like I always tell people, I will always survive because whatever I'm in, I make you money, period. Hold on, so what, what was this point of that? He was just trying to get at you for leaving or? Get at me for leaving. Wow, that's nasty. So, and he, cause he wanted me to list my properties with him. I said, he was like, yo, you know, most times when you have your own properties, you know, the broker or the associate broker, they list it for you. We just get 1%. I'm like, why would you get 1% of properties? I got a license. Like, why would you do that? And what happened is during the time, you know, they were on the market for like eight months. That's when my license lapsed. So now he bangs me for it. I get the real estate board comes, they bang me a thousand hours. They're like, yo, we need our bread in like 30 days or less. And that's it. And literally I was like, yo, what I'm going to do. So I just start hustling again. You know what I mean? I sold a couple of cribs, paid a fine, got my license back. But at this point now I'm turned off about being an agent because I'm watching the people I'm doing work with because I created my own lane in wholesaling. I do a lot of deals because I got my own lane. I help wholesaler A sell the property to my investors. You got deals, you bring them my way. You ain't got to do shit. I got the buyers. I'll show them to properties. I'll do the paperwork. I'll take the pictures. I do the videos. I put everything together so you can increase your, your, your output. Yeah, that's really what I come in as a support role. I've been number one. That shit is stressful. Uh, you, you, you're calling people who you're paying to do the job and they don't want to do the job. They come in late. They don't show up. You're still responsible. I'm a great number two. I'm the best number two you ever have. You can be number one. You can have your pictures on the lights and everything. And during the time frame and afterwards, this dog keeps finding stuff to eat. <laughs> but during, I'm in my office and every time a pen hits the floor, she chews it up and whatever. But so now as this time, I think, did I make Nikki? No. I, yeah. At this time I'm doing my thing. Nikki hits me up. Well, this is after everything. I, I settled through all the issues. Now I'm full-time in real estate. I got my fine. I sold my properties, had a couple of dollars. So I'm trying to maneuver and make some deals. Some shit happens. My man gets killed. Um, I had gave, I put, I had got him insurance for 4 million on him because at the time we were doing so much money, the shout out to Amari. He was like, he worked for New York. Like, he was like, yo, your man's making, y'all making this much money. Y'all both need to have this much insurance. And I'm like, nah. But then I thought about it. Like when my dad passed, I had some money that I could give my sister, had myself. So now I got to put it in my own, my own life. Cause I learned about it. So told my man, he got it. He got killed. 
His kids got the money, the properties, the brother and everybody took them. And now I'm on my own with a little couple of hours and I'm just thinking what to do. And I was like, damn, what should I do? And then Nick hit me up, was like, yo, I want to learn about real estate. I told her my story. I'm like, yo, my best deal, a wholesaling, I made like 11 grand. I'm like, yo, that shit is real. And she was like, yeah, whatever. I, I make money doing what I do. You talking about this money you make, you don't make that kind of money. And I'm like, okay, I don't, whatever. <laughs> she didn't tell me that she told everybody not to trust me. <laughs> and we had what was uh, called house jerk at the time and then basically the guy would come up say the same story over and over again i'm like nikki i know everybody in real estate she's like no you don't i'm like yeah i do i know everybody in the game who really moves properties because that's how i survive i'm like i do i call 25 people a day seven days a week sometimes she's mm -hmm. like what i'm telling her like yo this is what i do she's like whatever i'm like eventually you're gonna stop doing what you do and you're gonna do real estate full-time didn't believe me. Guess what she does full time now? Real estate. Yeah. We created better than success because at the time I realized that there was no platform for people like me to go to, to learn about real estate. And here I am meeting people who are doing Bart Blackstein, Alan Dom, all these people are doing these numbers of different races. And I'm trying to tell people like, yo, they were just like us. They just had a support system. They said, we want to buy a hotel and we need uh, 500,000. They homies pull out 500,000. You got 100,000, he got 100,000, he got 100,000, all five of them on the deal. The guy who put the deal together, he gets some ownership. Because that's the thing that I deal with a lot of African-Americans is when I say, look, I'm going to put this deal together. I found the deal. I can make the fine. I can get the money. I can create the financing. And they'd be like, but why do you get some of the deal? I'm like, what are you talking about? Because you put the whole thing together. I put the thing together. I'm bringing you a part of it. You're bringing the money. You're not doing anything but the money and you're getting part of the deal. No, but I want 100% of it. Huh? Yeah, so, so so that's something that we need to um talk about that for a second, core, because it's interesting because we have to you know um get on a mode of being you know you know collaboration over competition because like, yeah what the hell, yeah like, because you I rather I, I, I run into that a lot man yeah like, I, and I, I do too I do too and I always like use big businesses like would you rather own ten percent of Apple or or hundred percent of your little like you know cell phone store that you got like you know on Germantown Avenue or would you rather have a small piece of of something bigger. They and you can also do more. They, they want the poppy store. They don't want to own them all. They never do. And when I try to explain to them, I deal right now, there's so much different levels. So I deal with people who buy hotels, apartment buildings. When the pandemic happened, they took out $3 million. I said, what? They said, no, Bar, we uh, took out $3 million. Uh, what do you got? They're buying houses. They're buying where they want to live. They're buying more investment properties. The first thing I learned through Drew was, don't buy your primary first. Buy investment properties first to pay for your primary. Don't buy the car. Buy the thing, the asset that will pay for the car. That, buy, the buy the investment first. Buy the investment first. Let that money build up. Then take that money and say, hey, the car is bought by the LLC. Lease the car. Growing up, everyone told me to buy the car. I'm like, well, Drew, I've been buying cars. And the first thing he said to me, well, how much when you take that car back do you get? I said, no, I don't get no money when I take the car back. They usually tell me I owe them money. And he's like, so guess what happens when I take my lease back? I don't owe them shit. They don't owe me shit. And I lease another car and I write it off on taxes. And that was the thing like this tax knowledge and how to create wealth was not taught to me by them. You know what I mean? Cause he taught me things cause I would look like, but Drew, you make so much money. He said, that don't mean I ain't going to lease. That don't mean I ain't going to write this off and write that off. And that was where I just realized like our mentality was so crazy because we were never taught to lease. We were never taught to create an LLC to run all our money through the LLC that the LLC pay us as employees 
and we can write off some taxes and we can have some tax benefits because we own the property. We have depreciation. It depreciates this rate every year. We can use leverage because once we get this one property, we can refinance it, take the money from that. We it's got a whole game. It's literally like Monopoly in real life, right? But a lot of times, you know, a lot, a lot of times what you're running to, people say, don't think it's real. Either they don't understand it Everything's or they don't a scam. think it's real. Oh, that's a scam. Oh, they scam you. And I'm like, well, guess what scam is life? You work 40 years to 65, 67 for most of us now, and then you die. At 78, you got in your best years behind you. And guess what I tell people, which I've watched because I've shook 550 seniors. I've done your senior prom for five years straight. Guess what I've watched all the time? You are old. You do not want to go anywhere. And you, all you're doing home is watching TV. Jeopardy, uh, Price is Right, and you're in the room eating crackers. I remember my mom asked me one time, she, she spent like $100 at uh, Red Lobster. And she said, oh, man, I spent so much money at Red Lobster. Have you ever spent a hundred and something dollars on food? I was like, no, about $495. She was like, what? I said, yeah, I was in Vegas, had a dinner. It was $495, maybe $525. She said, oh, my God, that's what people make a week. I said, that's why I made the money so I could enjoy, and I went on a trip. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you making your money for? Like, the mentality is so different because at that point, I realized – like, I've been busting my ass since I was 14 years old, and I never got to enjoy the money. I bust my ass for everybody else. I had three jobs. I went to two schools. I was not, and not that I was sad, but I was not living life. Like, I realized that the choices I made was to help other people get what they want. And then I realized, well, really what I want to do is to do what I want to do when I wake up and not be told what to do. Because I already put in the work, but now my mentality had to go is, well, I like to travel. So I tell people, Tom, I've traveled enough places for everybody I meet because I used to go, oh, I'm going to Vegas. They'd be like, what do you mean going to Vegas? I'm going to Vegas for three days. There's a convention out there. I'm going to be out there for three days by myself. They'd be like, you going by yourself? Yeah. Who are you going with? I get on the plane and go because I realized that the, I want to get away was 200 bucks, 100 bucks. The hotel was 50 bucks a night. So for 500 bucks, I could be in Vegas for the weekend. Why would I spend the 500 bucks in Philly? and drink at some corner bar with a bunch of motherfuckers who are trying to rob me when I leave the bar. <laughs> These are all facts. You ever been in the bar on Fifth Street? Fifth and Wyoming. Yo, listen, Fifth and Wyoming. Fifth and Wyoming. It's right next to the, uh, it's, a, it's a food store right next to it. It's a, uh, like La Colombiana or something like that. Yeah, listen, motherfuckers fuck me up with this. They be like, bar, we going here. I'm like, my car is, more, is worth more than the houses on the block. I'm not going there. And they didn't understand, oh, you too bougie. I'm not being bougie. They got a security guard outside and a security guard inside. Both have double guns on them. Why do you need four guns for a place we're supposed to go have some good times at? And hey, yo, listen, I, own, I listen. I used to own a Ducky Spot bar, so I, I, I know. So, so, and mind you, I've been going to Ducky Spots since I was a kid because I hung out with those type people. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with it because you got to get your money however you get it. But at a certain point that you start making more than 50 grand a year, you should not be in the Ducky Spot. Yeah, because what happens is you start to have you, you start to value more, right? So a lot of times, people's behavior is because they feel like they have nothing to lose, or they have, you know what I mean? Like when you start having assets and you start understanding how things work, you don't want to be in certain situations. Because it's not, it's not even about it's not even about being scared or anything. It's like why why do I want to even put myself through that? Like it's just stupid. Yeah, like the, the numbers don't add up. Exactly. It's all math. It's all it's, li it's literally all math. Like yo, the math don't start. The math yeah, don't add up. Right? I don't need to be there. Meek Mills, Meek Mills just said that this year. There's an interview he just had. He said, here's what I realized. When he met all the owners from the NFL and the Sixers and all these people that met him in jail, they said, homie, your income is in six, seven figures. 
why are you still hanging around four-figure people? And he was like, yo, and he said, he said, you can stay in the hood, but you'll die in the hood. Them same hood people ain't coming to bail you out of jail. But what you have to do, though, the way, the way we look at it is you have to help Something you said earlier, you have to help those people get to where you are. Turn, yeah, turn them. So, into so, so it's a different. It's a difference between just turning your back on people, but also or those that are willing to take the help, because that's another thing too. Everybody's not willing to take the help. Because what he said, he said something that I grew through. Same thing I went through. He said going to school and and getting an education wasn't cool. So going to school, and I remember I used to walk to the school to get to, uh, and everybody like, "Well, we cutting today." I'm like, "Yo, I'm going to school." They like, "No, nah, we gonna cut." No, nah, I ain't cutting. No, nah, I'm going to school. Like, my mom would whoop my ass. My dad, you know, like, Yo, you even live at home. I said, they'll find me. And whoop my ass. Like, we ain't got, I ain't got to tell you. You don't need to know, but I know what's going to happen if I ain't go to school. So it was a different mentality, but now I'm not the cool kid because I'm going to school. And, he, and Meek said it. He's like, what's crazy is we grew up that if you cut, smoke weed, sold drugs, you was a cool kid. But if you went to school, get an education, got a job, you was corny. You know what? I think some of that's changing, but I also think a lot of that is a lot of that goes is is pain. Like we deal with a lot of trauma, a lot of stress, and it's pain, and that's the way that you know it shows itself. But I, I think that the narrative eventually will change because what happens is now now you look at TV and you see what's happening, and you see especially what happens in Silicon Valley. You start to realize like, yo, all the all the quote unquote cool kids work for the good kids that aren't cool. They work for them now. You know what I mean? The tables have turned. The Man. tables have turned when you see who's dating the models and who's doing all the things that you think that you want to do. And that's another thing that's interesting about what you talk about is because also when it comes to wealth, I think that we've been sold a lie. Right? Oh, we've been sold a lie when it comes to wealth because being in real estate and in finance, you meet a lot of wealthy people. And my idea coming into it, what I thought wealth was, and then what I see what wealth actually is, is two different things. Right. So when you watch TV or movies or whatever, and you see the like, not that people don't live like that or do these things, but the most wealthy and powerful people, they just like live a different life. They're, they're, their conversations are about acquisition. You know what I mean? Like they, they had their fun. They had their fun, but it's, a, it's just a different, it's not what you're sold. You know not, what I mean? Listen, not at all. And I tell people at the time, I've hung out with billionaires. I held out the guy who sold um, Constant Contact for like $2 billion. I hung out with the guy who owns Priceline. I went to Silicon Valley. I got it on video for eight minutes. I sponsor events. What I realized is, so the key to success for all the people listening to this is, find the, the network you need to get into and sponsor their event. Whether it's $1,000, whether it's 500 bucks, whatever the charity they're giving to, you give to that same charity. Because when you see your name and say, I wanna thank the contribution to, thank Jabbar Fairweather or thank ATA Pharmacy for contributing money. They contribute $2,500 to this event. There are our, our sponsors. Now you're in the room where other people are going to go, damn, they gave 2,500. Like people be like, but Jabbar, how much money you gave to Philly real estate week? I'll be like 2,500, 5,000. What would you talking about? What's your own event? Because I'm going to sponsor my own shit. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know what I mean? When me and Nikki do something or she does something, I treat it like my own business. If she needs 10 grand. I'd be like, all right, let me see how I can get this money up so we can do the event. I'm not getting that money back. But here's how I get the money back. The people who join Better Than Success, the people who go to Philly Real Estate Week, they go, oh, yeah, I want to meet Jabbar Fairweather. Now I do business with them. Now I generate income long-term through the relationships I did from sponsoring the event. All right, so that was a gem right there. You said <laughs> to get into the room, you sponsor the events or things that they care about. Yep. That's a, that's a gem right there. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a major key. Yeah. Listen, I've never been to L.A., but guess what? 
when they said the top 25 or 50 income earners of the world are going to be there, guess where I was at? I was there. I caught a plane out. I sponsored the event. I was one of the first people to write a check. I just got the money. Literally, the money I made off the wholesale deal, I spent every dime except for two grand. That two grand was what I was going to fly out there. Shit, I barely had the money to go out to pay my, my rent. But I always tell people, they're like, oh, bar, you must be rich. I'm like, yo, I'm constantly reinvesting the money because I met people who literally, I know people, a shout out to LeVar Clark. LeVar took, let's say, six figures one time. He spent every dime of those six figures, except for what he had to pay for his mortgage or his rent, whatever it was, and bought land. Dude got land for the next 10 years because he went to the sheriff's spell and was buying land in all the places you want to be for $5,000, $3,000. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, yo, you did what? Like, I would, in my mind, I thought what I did with my first six figures, I was like, yo, let me get this car. Uh, I'm going to go on this trip. He invested invested it. And shout out to LeVar. Actually, I just talked to him last week. He's coming on um, soon. I actually just talked to him. but He he killed it at the sheriff's sale. And. I had to start looking at what I was doing with my money, but this was me being younger, not knowing. This is him being younger, knowing. And he was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and we knew each other for a long time when he was not where he's at now. I've known him since Caldwell Banker. We both worked at Caldwell Banker. So when he was getting money and I was getting money, he was buying shit, I was buying shit, but he was buying different shit. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was buying shit, you were buying shit. <laughs> right. I, I got you, got you, got, I got you. you. Un- understood, understood. Look, you can tell, I tell people the time, like, y'all can see, I, I was in Vegas, like, yo, I'm good. And LeVar was like, I'm studying how to build a property, and I think this land that can hold 16 units that is zone RMX, well, CMX5, or CMX4 God zoning, and I can convert it in, in condos. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I always tell people, he was, you, and you don't see him in anything. You don't see him online. You don't he, see him lays, he lays low. You don't know. His IG profile, he don't show his face. I, I, you know, I, I mess with it. The crazy part about that is there's a lot of folks out there like that. Um, and someone said something <laughs> the other day. They were like, yo, I watch your podcast. I watch a couple of other podcasts. He was like, Philly got some hustlers. I was like, the crazy part is, some of us you never see. Yeah, you will never see their face. You won't see them at all. Like, it's a lot of people. It's, the disparity in Philly is weird because it's very I'm, weird. It's, it's weird because I know a lot of people that's eating, and I mean chewing, and you you couldn't t- you couldn't pick them out of lineup, and then you see all the flash and flare, and you think though you think those people eating, and I'm like. Man, it's a whole different level. Like them, them, they they eating cookies and the other people eating steak. There they was a eat. study. There was a study done. I, I forgot uh, what, where I read it because I think it might have been the, either the New York Times or either was it might have been the Inquirer. But it said that Philly has like um, the like, most rich term, people and the most poor people. Yeah, in terms of the East Coast, it has more six figure earners than like a lot of the big cities on the East Coast. Listen, but at the sa- at the same time, it also has the highest level of poverty. So Philadelphia is literally the city of the have and have nots. Is that's that's our city? I'm gonna put yeah, you in a game. I'm gonna put you another game. So, two things. Uh, the people I used to hang with were the biggest drug dealers in the city, hands down. They made the most money. They supplied the city with drugs. My man said every time he got locked up, he came out, he buy a brand new car, and I was like, why? I said you broke. He said, but guess what? That attracted poor people more money <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the motherfuckers who want to be on my level so they want to do business with me so would attract them to me and they would give me the money or drugs or whatever i needed because they like yo i want to be like him driving this whatever car he would buy and i was like no that's crazy because he's like yo you've never seen me drive anything broke you never seen me drive i could be have no gas money you walk out that door you see a 750 or a, a mercedes-benz and he's like and just because that car's out there he's like it'll attract the money and i used to tell people 
the richest people I know drive Fords. Like yeah. if you read the neighbor next door, the uh, neighbor next door, the, the millionaire, richest, millionaire next door, millionaire next door. That's real. Fords, Lincolns. The one of the guys I deal with, Jewish guy, his mom for sixteen, no twelve. I think the car was 10 years old, drove the Volvo, a 10-year-old Volvo, even though they own 200-plus properties, even though they're bringing in 300 grand a month. Listen, I'm going to tell you this quick story real fast, Ike, and this goes back to what you talked about earlier about floor time. I remember working at, working at Mesa Realty, and I'm doing floor time, and I'm you know new licensee, so I'm all excited, and this dude comes in, he got a Mercedes, what have you, and I rush out. Matter of fact, no, the, the, it was a lady. I, I rush out. Bottom line is I show her houses all day long. Just all kinds of houses, and she wants to put an offer. And we get back, run her credit, look at everything. She had no money, no credit. She just wasted my literally wasted a day of me just showing her houses. And 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 Mess is sitting there laughing at me. And she's like, "Why didn't you check anything beforehand?" I was like, "Cause she said she she said she had, I, but she's laughing." And she's like, "That's your first learning experience. That in real estate, you can never judge a book by its cover." Subsequently, I saw a dude come in. He had a, like a um a Ford pickup F one fifty. He had dents in it. Dirty jeans, all that. My man had close to an M in cash in his in, in his account, and then she called me back in. Here's brothers. the crazy part about this: this was a Jamaican guy, you know. But anyway, but anyway, yeah, but but anyway, he had an F one fifty with dents in it. So she calls me like just to show me like you see the difference, and she was like, "That's why you can never." And this is why she said, "This is why you pre-screen people." That was a lesson in that. You figure out who's lying, who's not lying. But I was new; I didn't know any better, so the whole idea of the millionaire next door. So when I read the book, I was like, I've seen this play out. Like I've literally seen this play out. And a lot of wealthy folks say, look, I don't want to draw the attention because that, that thing you talked about earlier in terms of taxes, they're thinking about taxes and like, you know, they're not thinking about tax evasion. They're thinking about tax avoidance. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to see the flash because they don't want it to be a security issue. And they're playing a whole different game. So I totally understand that about, um, and that's what I mean when I say that we're told to lie in terms of, what wealth really looks like. You remember the Home Depot on um, Germantown and uh, Washington and uh, Jack, Jack Germantown and Johnson Street. The Home Depot on that corner used to be the depot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Germantown oh. and John. No, no. Germantown and Johnson is Germantown and Johnson. Okay, Germantown and Johnson. Oh, oh, you mean the house? The house depot. The house depot. House depot. Yeah, yeah I know you're talking about. Let me tell you about a quick deal I was with them on. So they only drive F one fifties. That's what I thought you were talking about. They drove F one fifty. Wyatt and Chris Coakley drove F-150. They never drove anything fresh. One was a silver one. One was a burgundy one. And they had a little corner store. I didn't know they owned the whole building. Didn't know. I had a deal where when everything was going to shit, uh, the, you know, everything goes to auction. So there was, uh, I think, 197 units going to auction in Delaware. And this is when I was messing with uh, uh, Ian and uh, Josh. And um, they're like, Jabbar, try to sell it. But I had to connect. My man was the one who... I knew the family member who passed away and left the son 197 units. Son didn't want nothing to do with the 197 units. It was a big ass complex. Pop paid 2.7 million for it and got it and paid it off and was working on it himself and some crew members, 197 units. So when he bought, died, everybody thought the son was going to do it. The son's like, I, I'm a doctor. Like the son was a lawyer, a doctor, which is another thing about people. We, we, we make millions to send our kids to school to be employees to make less than what we make. Dumbest shit ever. But whatever. <laughs> Real rap, because most other cultures don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Other cultures say, look, I run this business. I'm making a million a month. Guess what you're going to do? When you yeah, get out of school, business, you come yeah. here and run the fucking business because that's generational wealth. So long story short, I show up on a Saturday and uh, Josh is like, yeah, I got a buyer. And I see the Coca brothers come out. 
He's charging them $75,000 to tell them about the deal. I didn't know they had that kind of money. Because mind you, I'm saying he bought it for $2.7 million. They had with the bank, they had to leave like, let's say a half a million dollars in a CD with the bank so they could get any amount of money and at any interest rate they wanted, the bank would give them whatever the rate was. So everybody else was paying 8%. They were paying like 3%. And they were like, yeah, Jabbar, we got an open line with this bank. I'm like, what you mean an open line? They're like, as long as the numbers make sense, we can buy anything we want. What? But, but because of the way they carried themselves, you had no idea. Listen, T-shirt, no watch, no jewelry, dressed like a, a hippie. You would have, like, there was no figure of looking at that sign where you go, well, do God, okay, that's what he, yeah. no sign of it. He's like, bro, I don't own anything. Everything they had was in a trust. Mm-hmm. Everything was uh, LLC that owned it. The LLC was owned by a trust. They had a, a management company. They had a flip company. They had a wholesale company. They had a, uh, a banking company that banks the money. So the bank, when the company, the bank, the money, that bank charges them a percentage for the money that it got from the bank. I'm like, what? And they're so far removed from it. Like their names own nothing. They control everything and own nothing. They had like 15 different companies. And I'm like, wait, what? No, seriously. They're like, well, you know, I got divorced and she would get half. You know, like, like, he was telling me the whole game plan. Like, okay, this company, no one knows about. This company, no one knows about. This company, no one knows about. This company here that gets that 60, no, 50,000 a year. That's what everybody know about. The 50,000 a year company. Gotcha. You all know about the million dollar a year company or the million dollar a month company. And that's and the game. Like, watching these dudes like, yo, y'all on some level I need to get on. So like I said, once someone shows me something, I go out then and start finding out well, who taught you that? And I'll be like, oh, shoot. All right, I got to pay them for that information because that's another thing we're afraid of is to pay people for the knowledge that they give. But I want to pay someone who's implementing what they're telling me. I don't want you to tell me some shit you got out of the book. Yo, are you using that, what you're talking about? Like, look, mm-hmm. here's my – um. it says estate plan book. That's my, yeah. my estate plan, period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I the money I paid for this, you could buy a house with. And somebody thought I was crazy. I said, yo – um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a situation like I was last time I lost everything. When I die, I want my son to know that this will that's in place, the living will that's in place, that's controlled by the, um, the trust that says when he gets 18, he gets this money. When he turns 21, he gets this money. When he turns 25, he gets this money. And when he turns 30, he gets this money. Because 18, you're going to be fucked up. You don't know what to do. Hey, you go buy yourself a car, pay for college. Boom. At least do two years. When you turn 21, you become a man. Go blow some money in Vegas. Here's your Vegas. Go blow money. Hopefully you live. <laughs> but you've already got it planned out for him. That's dope. If you turn 25 and you're looking about to settle down, get married, have a kid or whatever, here's the money to buy the house you want to live into. And then when you turn 30, whether you're divorced or shit went to fan, here's this other money that's going to pop out of nowhere that's going to go, gotcha, boy. I, I knew you was going to be fucked up around here at 30 because you really know what you want to do. You really learned what to college and waste all these four years in college because you you damn sure don't you want to be this, and now you're this. Here's your blanket, your your parachute coming out the woodworks. Yo, this th- this is an amazing conversation. I gotta, I gotta, cause we, we could be on for all day, but I gotta ask you a couple questions, right? Okay. So along this journey to take you from where you are, you told us about, you told us some amazing stories that um, you know, some pitfalls and things you went through. What would you say is the the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome? to make you now where you can just do deals. Cause like I said, for people that don't know, and I'm going to put your social media links in the description bar is like closing. Like even, even your website is work with bar. Like you out here like closing a gazillion deals. What is the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome? Um, the biggest hurdle I had to come is belief in self because 
I think that the biggest thing that stopped me from making millions and being on another stratosphere was that when Drew was telling me that I could buy properties with no money, or when people were telling me not to do things, I would listen to them, even though they were not in a position that I, I wanted to be in. And I'll tell people, when you look at somebody you want to deal with, are they in a position that I want to be in, or are they in a position where they're just like me, but they're telling me to do some shit? Like I always tell people, I don't look at where people, the car you drive, I look at where you live. Like I used to do a Sunday video, you can check on my Facebook, when I was down in the Rittenhouse Square every Sunday. Yo, I'm in Rittenhouse Square. Yeah, you know what I mean? Oh, keep listening to that dude that drives a Bentley or the guy that drives a Mercedes because I drive a Chrysler 200. Um, but uh, where I live, they don't live. And I had to realize like I was doing things that other people weren't doing. And I had to believe in myself. And once I got the belief in myself, then I was like, there's no deal I can't do because I can find the people in my network who I want to be around to help me. Because that's the other thing. We have lack of belief in self. So when someone tells us we can't do it, then we don't do it. And then later they'll be like, why'd you listen to me? I'm broke like you. I heard that. Someone told me that shit, man. I was, I, that day I wanted to shoot everybody I ever met. <laughs> like, I, the boy told me that. I said, what? He said, why would you listen to me? I was broke. <laughs> I'm so fucking sorry, man. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, that's so, amazing. Because what it is, is why would they want to see you get off the porch? Hmm. Because now you're not hanging on the block in the corner with them. Now you're going to work. Now you're going to college. Now you're in Jamaica for two months. Now you're going to Vegas for two weeks. Now you're in Africa for two months. I did, I did a mission trip in Africa. I met the, uh, uh, Nigeria, the, president, the vice president of Nigeria when they turned it over to Christian. I've done shit that people be like, nah, really? I'm like, nope, I did that. And it's all on my social media because I wanted a record. So if my son, something happened to me, my son could be like, yo, my dad did this. I seen this. He told me the story. He got the pictures. I seen this. You know what I mean? Like I realized that once I got the belief in myself, going to Africa was not a big thing. So it wasn't even anything that was like, um, you know, tactical or anything about the business. It's literally just the mental side of it. It's always mindset. If you go and better, better in success as a member, you will see that every day for the last four years, every morning from between 3 a.m. to 7 a.m., I post some mental thing about mindset because that's one of the things we have to have in ourselves. My man literally made millions every month because at his early age, when he walked in a room, you didn't know that he was only 18 years old, but he controlled a hundred people. And I'm like, well, how could you do what you did? You were only 18. He said, because I believed in everything I did. If I did it, I believed in it. I was going to complete the task. And then I realized like, once you got the belief in self, you could say, like I tell people, they'd be like, no, nah, Bar, you know, it was difficult. LeVar started from North Philly. He damn near my own North Philly right now. There's people, Drew, he started from, Kent, um, from Frankfurt. He didn't start from no great start. He just got his little one property, bought it, fixed it up, refied it, bought another property, and just kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. Nothing different. And when I meet people, they be like, man, Bar, you spoke, man, so real, because I hate the phony shit. I hate the motherfuckers be like, yeah, I just woke up one day and I'm rich. And you'd be like, that, I can't follow that game plan. I can't follow a game plan where you tell me you woke up and you're rich and you've never made a mistake because when a problem arises, when the electrical box fuse goes or a fire happens in your house, like I had a high fire happen in 239 East Haynes. They gave me a check for $31,000. I 
I didn't know about public adjusters. When they first tried to give me the money, they tried to give me $15,000. Public adjuster that Drew gave me said, ho, homie, that's a single family, 2,100 square foot building in Germantown. I'm like, that's a drug block next to 34 East Haines, 239 East Haines. They sell heavy on that block next to the projects. But when he got done, the house was this great property. And I got 31000 That's how I paid for my wedding. Because at the time I, I, I got married, I used the money from that. And my dad got to go to Jamaica because he banged me over the head for $1,000 a room when I was like to put some sheetrock up. But at the time it was like belief in self and knowledge, you, you unstoppable. I meet people who I listen to their story. They'd be like, well, Jabbar, you know how I got my first million dollars, million dollars, a billion dollars. He said, I got to the airport and um, it was, uh, it was a long ass line. I said, man, there gotta be a way that uh, we don't have to stand in line this long because computers. So the guy who owns uh, Priceline created the panels. When you go to the airport, every airport in the world has a panel. Most modern countries has a panel that you can just go to, put your, uh, your driver's license in it, and print out your ticket and leave. He's a multi-billionaire because of that. Because he's seen a problem. He said there got to be a solution to it, and he created the solution. So that, that, that's that belief you're talking about. Man, that's, that's powerful right there. Let me ask you another question. What is a book or anything that has influenced you along your journey? Uh, like I said, The uh, Millionaire Next Door. Um, and this one is crazy because I'm reading it over again, and it's so true. It's called The Platinum Rule. Have you ever read that that's one? A, no, I have. That's a new one. That's, and no one's ever brought that up that's been on here, The Platinum Rule. I got to write so, that one down. So think about this. You heard of the Golden Rule. Treat others like you would like to be treated. Absolutely. How's that really work? What if I like to get whipped and beat? I'm into some kinky shit and choke. <laughs> and you don't like to be beat and choked, but I start choking you. Or what if I'm a person who does business and I'm a, a shark, but you're not a shark? How can we work together? The platinum rule basically says treat others like they would like to be treated. Got you. Think Got about you. this. What's that you author's know, name? Uh, the author is Tony Asana. PhD okay. and Michael J. O'Connor. All right, I just wrote that down. I'm going to add that too. So we have a recommended books list that we uh, have a running like you know thing. So I'm going to add that too with the Platinum Rule. That's a good one. So you know how I became really successful by reading that book? So you know how some people will call people. I can call somebody on the phone and have a full conversation. But there's other people that are introverts that don't know how to talk to people on the phone and they take people like me who talk fast because people say I talk fast. They're like, oh, you talk too fast. They don't trust people who talk fast. I'm like, no, I'm very self-confident. I know what I'm talking about. So then I had to realize to get more deals done and to work with more people, I had to realize some people like text. So I text some people. Some people only will trust you if you talk on the phone. Some people need to meet you in person. The people that buy the hotels and buy apartment buildings and everything else, they wanted to meet me in person. They cursed me out. was like, Barb, man, we doing a deal. You ain't never put this shit in writing. I said, uh, why would you rob me? I don't have no money compared to y'all. Y'all on another level. Um, I don't see why you would not trust me. And I give trust. And until you fuck up the paper, I give you a blank piece of paper. Until you put the marks on it, I'm going to give you full trust. But the platinum rule basically says, they wanted to meet me in person. I went to go meet them in person. Had my mask on and all that, but I went to meet them in person. Then you got people who want email. You got to email them everything. Oh, man. Uh, I, can you email you gotta, me? You got to meet them where they at. Okay, I got you. That's the platinum rule. So think about it. If I'm a talker and you're not a talker, but I'm trying to make you a talker, you're not going to want to do, you don't, you don't get the warm and fuzzy with me. You'll get the warm and fuzzy with someone else who just sends you email. 
who hides behind the computer and they just send out emails, not hide, but their personality is not to be in the limelight. They want to be in the background. So you can't make them. It took me three years to get LeVar, maybe more than that, five years to get LeVar to talk to a small group of people. Imagine five years of telling someone the same thing every day. Like I'm calling them, texting them. And then finally, when he felt like he got to whatever pinnacle he wanted to be like, now he started to talk to people. Now he has his own training and class and all that. But literally, I was like pulling my hair out like, yo, you're black, you're successful. You have everything going for you. You can be an inspiration for other people to get out the hood and buy back the blocks, buy the hood. Mm -hmm. Like to reinvest in land and buy up the land everywhere. And, you know, it costs 1500 for this piece of land. And 10 years later, the land's worth 50000 or or 100 grand. because here's what happens. If we don't do it, they will. And they're not asking us permission. They're not saying, well, you know, uh, we're going to buy every piece of land in your neighborhood. And then when the market value goes up, we're going to kick you all out. And you're going to have to go to the Northeast. Because if mm -hmm. you really want to know how Philly works, because I've been everywhere in Philly, Gerard Avenue, no one wanted to live in Gerard. 1996, I was in Gerard. No one lived in Gerard. You could buy any house on Gerard Avenue for 5000 or less. I remember the first time a crackhead ran into the barbershop and was like, yo, they just gave me $25,000 for my piece of shit on Gerard Avenue. Everybody's like, what? They gave you $25,000 for that shit? And then they, people start buying, selling the houses. The Malcolm X, we made an offer for the Malcolm X building. We had, but used to have Malcolm X on the, as the, on the side of it. And you came off Gerard. It was for $45,000 we offered them. They got somebody paid them seventy five grand. From that point on, I knew something was going on because that's where the development was going. Mm -hmm. Then you have all the black people from there. Everybody wanted to be in Mount Airy or the Northeast. Yeah, the Northeast. That, that bothers me to this day. That 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 boils my blood. We sell the properties that have the closest proximity yeah, to public transportation to um to the central business district. South and Philly. You, Fuck it, just yeah. go South Philly. Yeah, South Philly. All the all the quote unquote enters were in in South Philly. Now I look at South Philly. Like yes, we right. owned South Philly at the time. So then it was Jewish people. Here's how South Philly worked. It was Jewish people renting to black people, South Philly. Then when South Philly went to value, they sold the properties to Italian people. Then the black people went, I'm going to be in North Philly, close to South Philly. Then they went from North Philly to Alney, no, Puerto Ricans went to Alney, to Logan, to Germantown, to West Oak Lane, to fighting to be in Mount Airy, to then fighting to be in the Northeast. Now we're moving out to the Northeast and all the white people who used to live in the Northeast are going downtown to uh, Brewery Town. They changed the names, of course. Brewery mm -hmm. Town, Strawberry Mansion, uh, what's the uh, what's new? Um, Sharswood. Sharswood. That's the one that's funny to me. Yeah, Sharswood. Now you try to buy some land in Sharswood, it's one hundred fifty thousand. Absolutely. I'm I'm working on the um, I'm working on the project. I'm working on the project right now. I'm working on the project right now. And like, I actually, literally you're ready to put it on the market. Literally tell people. Everything in real estate, re re rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. It's called the neighborhood life cycle. So if you study appraisal theory, it's called the neighborhood life cycle. And um, it's going to always happen. It doesn't matter how we feel about it emotionally. It's just, this is data. This is what data shows you. This is what you just said. It always happens. And it's always going to happen. So just understand that and act accordingly. But that's why, you know, if you buy land, land will always have value. Listen, one of the greatest things LeVar taught me, because I tell people, I give credit to whoever gives me knowledge he said what if you just bought a baby land anywhere buy the baby land it costs you five hundred dollars maybe a thousand dollars maybe two hundred dollars buy the land put in a family in a company name or a trust for the baby give it to the parents they pay the taxes on it or whatever fees on it for the baby when the baby becomes an adult you don't know what the land's gonna be cost absolutely 
my grandmother bought me when the day I was born, she 1977, she bought me a bond. My mom, she told my mom, when he goes to college, give him the bond, or when he becomes an adult, give him the bond. Grandmother passed away, mom gave me the bond, and uh, when I was in Drexel, I had to buy a computer. I'm thinking, shit, I'm seven, 18 years old, this bond been sitting here for 18 years. When I go cash this in, <laughs> woo, Vegas, here I come. I'm gonna buy the computer, I'm buy me a new car, I'm gonna get me a house, another house. Like I'm on some, I'm gonna be rich. This shit's crazy because I learned about stocks and bonds through Prime America. That Prime America is a network marketing company. And when I, my freshman year in 1996, someone introduced me to Prime America, he told me about stocks, and they would talk about how if you own stocks in ATT or IBM at the time when they first started till now, it'd be worth a couple million. Yeah. So you're applying that to what you thought was a savings bond. Nah, savings bond is nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> When we went to the bank, I thought the lady had was fucking with me. They gave me back uh, sixty dollars, <laughs> which means those bonds probably cost her like thirty, maybe, maybe. But but you know what though? Dollars. That point Whoa. about that point about buying land is so true because one of the things that you know, and you being in the business will recognize, people do a lot of land banking. So you see properties vacant for a long time, and you say, well, someone doesn't care about that, or this, that, and the third, and you try to reach out and find a buyer, as a lot of wholesalers do. And you start talking to people like, no, I bought that. I know it's there. I know what it is. I'm just not doing nothing right now. So You're like, huh? The biggest I'm, land no, I'm just banker, sitting on it. The biggest land banker is a lawyer. He's been going to the sheriff's sale since 1945 or 51. Um, he's down in Rittenhouse Square. He has an office. And when you walk into his office, I met him. At, I went to the auction. Like I read, I've been to the auction maybe four or five times. Okay. I went to the auction and I seen this dude there who was real quiet, but everybody seemed to give him respect. Like, you know, when somebody gets that respect that everybody else ain't seeing, but mm -hmm. the people who were buying land were seeing him and shaking his hand. So when I go into a meeting, I look for the influencer of the group. I don't are look you talking, for are you talking about Are you talking about Adam? <laughs> you talking about Adam, right? I'm not going to say names because... Uh, all right, but all right, I put it like this. I know who you're talking about, but go ahead, right? though. And um, I went to his office and he said, uh, what you looking for, young fella? I said, well, yo, I'm downtown too. He said, yeah, where you at? I said, I'm at 19th and Chestnut. He said, oh, okay. Yo, I get there, and he pulled. I said, well, LeVar, I'm telling him where LeVar's buying land. He said, what are you buying land at? I said, in West Philly. He pulls up. He goes to uh, 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 this wall, a wall, and goes, da -da 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 -da. what zip code? 39 uh, or 43? I said, uh, I think 4339, somewhere in West Philly. He said, well, let me show you something. He pulls off, flips through some pages, I own lands down at 45th and this and lands down. I own the whole corner. What are you trying to build? Then he shows a wall of how he was trying to collect all this land on Ridge Avenue. He owns all of Ridge Avenue on one side. The city took some of his shit back and he was fighting it, but he got some of it back. And he was telling me like, yo, I need your help on something. And I was going in my mind like this dude, every zip code I named, he had properties. And yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Let's put it that way. I, you know, I ain't going to put his name out there again, but I know exactly what you're talking about. But here's what's interesting about him. I was having a conversation with Ish this week because I was telling her, this dude, the guy you're talking about, yo, a couple years ago, he started accepting Litecoin and Bitcoin for his properties. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, he was ahead of the curve. I, and I, I, showed her, I showed her his website. I was like, yo, my man is collecting um, cryptocurrency for some of his properties. Listen, but I know, so I know you're talking about, but that's just... He, but that's the point. For those out there watching, listen, buy land. Land will always have value. Land will always have value. Listen, I learned about cryptocurrencies before when crypto was five cents. A white man sent me an email while I was on because I've been online long. He said, well, you should take a dollar 
or $10 and buy as much Bitcoin as you can because it's going to go up in value. And I said, what the hell is Bitcoin? I remember sitting in my um, apartment and there's two bedroom, one bedroom apartment. And I was just looking for things to do. I had the money because I had some properties, had some money coming in and I'm getting this email. And he said, look, you gonna buy Bitcoin because it's going to go up in value. And I said, cryptocurrency. He said, just leave your computer on and buy this currency. I said, leave my computer on and buy this currency. He's like, yeah, just leave your computer on like you normally do because you normally don't turn your computer off at the time. You know, it wasn't really laptops. And I said, this dude probably a scam. Then I asked some other people around me, people that I thought knew about money. There's like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Never bought it. Never bought it. See the white man. He's on a yacht. He has boats. He had bought a hundred dollars a month of Bitcoin. And then when it popped to 10,000 or five, no, $2,000. He sold. He was like, yo, he sold some of it, made millions. And literally I was sitting there going, why the hell did I listen to all the broke people around me? And I'll <laughs> tell you a story. We had a meeting at, when we had better success, uh, Nikki had a, uh, a barbecue for the fight when uh, Mayweather was fighting um, the bull, uh, Conor McGregor. And we had that barbecue. Uh, what's the name? Who came to me? Uh, what's the name came to me and said, bar, I got two grand. I see you talking about this Bitcoin. What should I do? I said, yo, buy the Bitcoin. Take your $2,000, buy Bitcoin. When it goes up in value, you'll get the difference. And he bought uh, Bitcoin. It went up to 17000 No, it went up to $12,000. He sold and took the 10000 profit and bought his wife a ring. And everybody was like, what? Because I tell people the time, I am crazy. My cousin will tell you, Jabbar, crazy. He'll invest in anything. But I learned from my mistakes where I'm like, yo, I got to listen to people because this dude is living a lifestyle that I could have been living, but because I listened to people who sat on the porch with me, I am not living that lifestyle. So, so, that, so that, that, that's the lesson in this whole episode is stop listening to broke people. <laughs> because they were always mentally they're broken. Most people, it's not because you're broke, because when you get a check, like I tell people, when you get your check, and this guy named Tom Ferry, uh, he's a real estate... Uh, and exactly, told me he's a trainer too. I need to trainer. Talk about he says, when you get a check, take 10%, put in an investment account. 10% in savings, 10% or 20% for taxes. Then what's left is what you live off of. You will never go broke that way. Pay yourself first. That's, that's, that's what that is. We get money, tax returns. Prime example, right now, what's the thing going on? Yo, the money, government's giving out free money. Yo, the government's giving out free money. Yo, man, sign up for this and get free money. And I'm like, that money's not free. What the fuck y'all talking about? First of all, shout out to all y'all, because some of y'all going to be going to jail by next year. So I hope y'all got some... Uh... Some some money put up because um they're gonna come at some of y'all. But of course, what you can really say, and I know you can really say something about um. No, the Bitcoin because I, I I told you like you know beginning of two thousand and seventeen. No, Corey I, told me he told me he said look just buy it. I was like I don't understand it. I kept trying to understand it. He said just buy it. I bought it and um I actually purchased a piece of property based upon that recommendation. So <laughs> I so I so, so, so to I, me like when people when people tell me like yo it's not I'm like listen I bought a piece I, of listen. I'm a gamer, and so I used to. We used to actually. I used Bitcoin as part of games before, so I bought Bitcoin a long time ago and used it as part of games. The Silk <laughs> Road. If you bought it long enough, you know about the Silk Road. Oh, yes, man, you I can do. get all kinds of all kinds of nasty. But I'm not. Going, but I'm going. I'm going to mind my business and not talk about that because dude. I'm gonna yeah, leave, leave that one alone. In a penitentiary. But anyway, so, bar, man, because we, we've been on a while. I got to ask you a couple of quick because we could talk forever. We talk about money and finance. We could talk forever. Let me ask you this question. Though. What is the future for your business? Now, you're out here doing deals. You know, you're, you're the go-to guy closing all these deals. What do you see as the future of your business or what is something that you're trying to get into? Um, right now, um, because what I tell people, if you can't control your future, then you can't control your life. So when the city was shut down, 
I started to learn about Forex again and, and trading, like day trading again. Because I'm like, yo, the city shut down, so I can't even, out of my control, I can't control my wealth. And what I like to doing is, you know, learning about it. I tell people, if you got, you got 24 hours in a day, you sleep for eight, you got 12 hours left or 20 hours left, uh, 12 hours left to do something, well, go learn something, whatever it is, and anything, and learn a new trade. Because what happened to the coal miners, which Trump is trying to keep in business, is Elon must happen. Elon is a multi-billionaire because we are afraid of technology and advancements. It's going to happen with or without you. I always tell people, I was the first one to have a, a, a Nextel flip phone in my neighborhood from Nextel. This phone has no buttons. I was the first one to buy an iPhone. And once being an IS major and being an IS major, I learned real quick that that time things moved every year. Now things move every 24 to 36 hours, new technology, new apps, new shit cap comes out. But trading options and real estate is not going anywhere. So my whole goal this year is to learn how to trade so I could be on the beaches somewhere and not stress about if this closing is going to happen. Because in closings, there's a lot of people in the factors of your closing, not just you. And I'm trying to build where I'm trying to have a network of people that I can say, yo, let's go buy this hotel that's in Baltimore. That's 365 units, $23 million. Uh, they paid $60 million to build it. If they, people don't know, Bart Blackstein bought the uh, Showboat Casino for like $15 million. And he didn't, he didn't want to buy anything in Atlantic City. But someone called him and said, well, they built it for $50 million. He's like, wait, I can get it for how much? He got it for $15 million. You know what I mean? Like, I want friends like, I have friends like that, but I want more friends like that that look like us to be able to like, yo, I got this plan. Like, let's put our money together, let's put our money together and go do stuff. Let's put our money to do stuff and not think like, yo, whose name going to be on it? And uh, 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 who's going to be the partners? Well, motherfuckers that get money is going to be the partners. People who've been doing this for a while is going to be partners. People who, they're not afraid to lose money because that's the other thing I, I would tell people. I'm never afraid. I had the argument today with somebody. They said, well, you just risked this money, you're going to lose. And you'll be broke. I said, I've been broke before. Yeah. So that shit don't scare me to be broke. You sound, like, you sound, like, you sound, like, you sound like Corey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been broke before. I don't care about being broke. I've been there. Listen, if you tell me, Jabbar, you got to paint a house. I paint a house. Listen, somebody called me and told me about uh, COVID-19 and have a sprayer. Guess what I got in my car? I got a mobile sprayer to spray your shit for COVID-19, 40 cents a square foot. I'll come spray your job right now. Give me 400 bucks. <laughs> I heard that. Listen, man, uh, this has been amazing, man. Uh, we got to get you on our Friday live one time so we can chop it up too. But this has been amazing. Your story is amazing, man. I'll tell you what you should do. You should, you should put that stuff in writing, man. You got a little, little uh, script right there. You know what I mean? About, about your, from, your, from your upbringing to where you are. You got a yeah. nice little story right there. You can sell that. That's a Hollywood story you're sitting on, man. Listen, I have a friend who's, uh, his name is William Alexander. He's actually on Instagram. I think he's William the producer. We went to high school together. Me and Fort every lunch period. And he said, he, when he left high school, he was like, I want to make movies. He went to uh, L.A. And when I went to L.A. to do the uh, BC thing for um, a big event out there, I sponsored it. I met him and I invited him to the party, after party for the Oscars. He's like, Jabbar, what the fuck? I said, come on, man. And he was like, yo. And I sat with him. We talked about it. He got movies on Netflix. And what I realized is that if you network with the right people and, you, and your re- interaction with them is a positive thing, they're your homies for years. Like, he's like, I've been watching you and seeing you do real estate, man. But I ain't know you sponsored the Oscars. I was like, whoa, time up. I sponsored the party for the after party for the Oscars. <laughs> oh, it ain't that. But, you know what I mean? Like, we got in. He got in. I had my card around my neck. They were, they were doing shit for charity. But in that room, all those people that were worth billions of dollars, they were just like me and you. They were no different. 
They mm-hmm. all have stories. And I told him about writing books. I got really close to one of them. I said, yo, you should write a book. He's like, ah, man, you know, I said, time out. I said, you'll make millions writing a book of your own story. Then he was like, really? I said, yeah, a lot of people write books. I'm like, no one, somebody would want to know about constant contact, how you did it. You know what I mean? I got his cell phone number. Like I can tell people I got cell phone numbers of billionaires because I realized ego is a motherfucker. If you can stroke somebody's ego in the right way, I tell people who got money, like, how can I help you make more money? Because as I'm helping you make more money, my level is increasing. My value to my marketplace is increasing because it's I can tell you about right there. Yeah, yeah. Bring COVID-19, down. spraying for COVID-19, charging somebody 40 cents. The sprayer is $500. The liquid is $120. There's $37 billion being put to COVID-19 relief to people to uh, make sure schools are safe and businesses are safe. You can start your own business with a tool that costs you 600 bucks in total, and you can start spraying for COVID-19, charging somebody $400 a building. You can do a building a day, that's $400 a day, or you can hire somebody to do it for $200. You keep $200, and you have the sprayer. Like, I constantly think about what whole the new situation hustle. is. You know what I mean? Like, the hustle is, your whole goal in life is to generate enough income to buy what you want, do what you want. But it's also about freedom. It's not about the money. It's what's behind the money. It's what the money allows you to do. And that's where people get it fucked up. They go, man, bar, I got all this money in the bank. So what? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you lived in Africa, and in, in, in Africa, they could freeze your bank account. Freeze your bank account, take the money, and be like, yep, oh, we took your money. So bad. Too bad. And if you fight them, they kill you. The only thing about America is that you can, and that's the other thing people don't realize, you got to have 250000 that's secure. At any point, they can take all your money up to two, uh, uh, after $250,000. So keeping the money in the bank is really not smart. That, that's why people who really understand about Bitcoin and all, different altcoins and different ones be like, yo, I got my money in this because they can't take it. You know what I mean? Even though it might go up and down, this one's really stable. Like that's why you constantly keep learning because it keeps protecting you against the risk, the crisis. If you stay stuck and you say, all I know how to do is drive a truck, you'll be driving a truck to your grave. Yeah, all I know how to do is cook uh, curry chicken, fried goat, or, you know, oxtails. I don't know how to dry, cook pasta. Well, guess what? You can only work for J- uh, Jamaican stores. Got to embrace technology, man. Listen, man, we could, like I said, we could be here all day, man. Like, this has been amazing, amazing yeah. story, man. I can't wait till the people see this one. Corey, you got any questions, anything before we get out of here, good brother? Oh, he left nothing unsaid. He just went all the way in. He just told the whole thing. Like, he just bared his soul. That's, a, the, that's, a, that's a movie, man. That's man. a movie. And, for, and yeah. I just want to say thank you for being transparent. And not only tell us about your successes, but also some of your failures, because that's what people learn from. So I want to say I appreciate you for that. Oh, um, man, I can tell you about the apps I invest in. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> no, man, we, we already been here a couple hours, yeah, man. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. like I said, we're going to have you on a different topic. Cause you got, I'm telling you, you live in a movie, man. For those out there, listen, make sure you follow uh, Make sure you follow up to see what he got going on. We're going to leave all Jabbar's uh, contact information, social media stuff within the show notes. Because he's out here hustling. He's doing amazing things. Like I said, I could vouch for the fact that he's out here doing deals. And, um, you know, like he just told you a lot of the game. And he gave you a lot of gems. It's a lot of gems within this episode. So I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for being transparent. Um, and to our audience out there, thank you for all the support. Make sure you share this episode. If it's audio, make sure you share that as well. If you watch the video, we appreciate that. As we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates. And we'll see you on the next episode. Peace.